0: It's a five-star podcast.
1: Because we do it.
0: What's, real? What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It is episode 83 of the What's Real podcast. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my tag team championship partner in podcasting, the Jay himself, Jared Bajoris. And if you think I'm flying through this shit this week, there's a reason for it. How the fuck are you, the Jay?
1: The J is as pumped as a titty on a lactation device. Hey, it's the eighty-third episode of What's Real. The Heath episode, and I am. I thought about am, that too. Yeah, I mean, how much more can I explain being pumped than a titty on a lactation device? So you know, I'm ready for eighty-three. Hey, you all.
0: Absolutely, an episode—I should say or episode eighty-three—is official as a referee's whistle this week because we have a ton of stuff for you. We told you guys last week we'd have a full review of WWE's SummerSlam 2021 and we're still going to do that, but we've been blindsided by literally one of the greatest weeks that I can think of in professional wrestling, maybe history uh as far as one weekend goes. So we are going to have a massive Segment about wrestling. We're going to be talking SummerSlam. We're going to be talking about uh, the biggest debut in AEW history. Uh, we're going to be talking about people leaving companies, showing up elsewhere, uh, all kinds of stuff uh, as far as wrestling goes. And of course, we're going to be talking about Suicide Squad, which we mentioned last week, which uh, is fairly new uh, to HBO Max. Uh, on Thursday Night Prime, we have maybe the quintessential thursday night prime movie and also this week me and the jay aren't fucking around if you guys listen to the show and thursday night prime has been quite tumultuous for us through the i guess last year at least we're ready this week and that's a fact and a promise of course we have goofs or goofs and much much more so the jay i know you're all locked and loaded you ready to get into it brother dude we got a mountain to climb hate you so let's start the track and unfortunately, we've done this so many times in the past, we are going to be uh, starting the show on a very sad note uh, with a threesome of uh, people that have passed. Uh, first up is the legendary martial artist himself, Sonny Chiba from the Street Fighter from many, many Kung Fu films. A guy that I personally kind of feel like took over the box office after we lost Bruce, Bruce Lee uh, in the world of martial arts films uh unfortunately he passed away due to complications with COVID 19 uh at 82 years old so if there's not another reason right there to hate uh the coronavirus uh, it also took sunny chiba away from us
1: horrible yeah fuck Goddamn COVID-19, another huge loss. And as you mentioned, hey, you all, uh, it's, it's just the right place to kind of start a, a crazy show that's going to be fun and entertaining in a somber way and uh, you know, give a shout out to some of these legends that, that we grew up watching and a part of our lives in, in the entertainment realm here with Sonny Chiba. Uh, of course, uh, me being a huge Tarantino fan, his part in Kill Bill um, yep. with his passing. I hadn't revisited Kill Bill in a while. Uh, one of my favorites of Tarantino, so uh, that's always a good spark to to give a kind of in memoriam, you know, personally, and, and throw on one of my favorites that Sonny Chiba was a part of with Kill Bill. But that that's what was cool about Sonny Chiba, and just like you know, the the differences in. in art forms as opposed to somebody like Bruce Lee that had kind of like the flow and the seamlessness style that, that Bruce Lee was. Sonny Chiba's fighting style was like less balletic than it was brutal. You know, that, that was kind of what made Sonny Chiba stand out is just his brutal kind of fighting style on screen. And uh, of course, the difference also with uh, Bruce Lee, him being a native of Japan. But Sonny Chiba was uh, a legend and... This is just horrible news that COVID nineteen of all things is what caused his passing at eighty two. But definitely, my shout out on the show, hey, you rest in power to Sonny Chiba from the J.
0: And absolutely, and I have something interesting to add here. So check this out, the J. I don't know if you're familiar with this guy, but years and years ago in the world of professional wrestling, there would be this kind of a thing that would go on where wrestlers would challenge anyone in the crowd they anybody in the crowd that can beat me in a wrestling match uh, you'll get ten thousand dollars or a car or whatever and most of the time these were kind of set up on purpose uh but there was a guy uh his name is uh William Harding uh he won the it's called the sugar hold challenge uh from wrestler in Florida Bob Roop and it this wasn't this didn't happen in Florida but Roop made his name in Florida for the most part but he's a friend of mine and uh he's also also practiced martial arts for man close to 50 years at this point i would guess uh and uh we were speaking on facebook about sonny chiba's death because he he said that this was something that was uh you know really hit a note with him and uh i kind of talked to him about the differences because we were speaking about him and bruce lee and shit. and i wanted to know like some of the differences from a you know uh, somebody that would really know uh, in their fighting styles. And just to give you a little quote, he said, Bruce Lee's way of fighting was more realistic and functional. Uh, the only way I saw Chiba fight was through films like The Street Fighter, but it was the straightforward attitude and viciousness of his attacks that drew me more towards what he was doing. Uh, he's, Bill actually told me in interviews, he said before one of his instructors in the first days of learning karate was from Japan and was extremely old school as far as his uh, training goes. He said in reference to defending yourself, if someone throws a punch, break their arm. Uh, If they throw a leg, break their leg. You do what you have to do to end it quickly and get out of there. It always kind of stuck with me. So I had good influences and excellent instructors who really trained you how to fight. I miss those days. And that's kind of how he likened the style of Sonny Chiba, kind of like what you were saying is more of a straightforward fighting style. Uh, So I just thought that was kind of interesting coming from somebody that I think would definitely know what they're talking about.
1: Yeah, such a prolific career. Hey, and more than 200 credits Uh, counted on IMDb and, uh, you know, appearances in things like the Fast and Furious, Tokyo Drift, and in different kind of contemporary films uh, that he would pop in just because of his legendary status. Uh, I was reading this part that uh, 2015 interview with Keanu Reeves, uh, the action star of The Matrix and John Wick told a Japanese media outlet that Chiba was one of the greatest actors of martial arts cinema. Chiba then surprised Reeves during the interview and praised John Wick, visibly delighting reeves saying character in action you brought together there was always heart to chiba's characters so a little cool anecdote there and again man just a a sad passing terrible that it had to do with this this current virus but uh it is what it is and you know like like we do here man that's why it's worth mentioning and kind of talking about uh you you always want to give a shout out to the legends and Sonny chiba definitely fits that bill here on the what's real podcast
0: Absolutely. So rest in peace and salute to the Street Fighter himself. Uh, another one that is uh, unfortunate, and it's it's also really personal for, for me and I'm sure us, the Jay. Oh, is for sure. The, the passing of Marilyn Eastman. Uh, a lot of people might not recognize that name, but she played Mrs. Cooper in the original Night of the Living Dead um i was talking about this with somebody recently uh the original night of the living dead i'm sure most of you have probably seen it or definitely knows what it is but it's a movie that literally changed the world of filmmaking and the world of horror since its debut in 1968. Uh, her character is a major part of that i guess you know like the one character with like the motherly kind of you know attributes uh that You know, that that movie has someone for everybody. I've always kind of felt that's kind of the power of that movie too, amongst other things. Um, I've actually had the opportunity to meet Mrs. Eastman. uh, Incredibly nice lady, incredibly gracious, and totally happy to meet fans. She's somebody that always came across to me as very, very grateful that she had the opportunity to be in that movie, just because of what that movie's come to mean in the zeitgeist of our country. Um, and it's a movie too that's also in the National Film Registry, so it's automatically kind of marked as one of the most important movies ever made.
1: Yeah, huge part of such a classic, and like you said, just a, such a personal thing for us Pittsburgh horror fans, you know, to have the legacy of George Romero and the Night of the Living Dead's you know series, basically, and Marilyn Eastman playing such a huge part in the original, not only with her role, of course, hey yeah, but she actually helped finance. The horror yep. classic and even lent a hand in the film's makeup prop and sound departments so you know me as an independent filmmaker I know how that goes and we always say we're so proud of like our team and everybody wears a lot of hats and uh, that just reminds me of that and uh, yeah it's, it's a sad day but a full life she was 87 and her son reported that she did die in her sleep so it seemed like she didn't suffer too much and, and that sort of thing uh, but definitely want to shout out the passing of Marilyn eastman here especially with our connection to to george romero and night of the living dead and and all the films under romero's belt such a huge part of that
0: absolutely and uh, as we were getting ready to record here on tuesday as we do another one popped up because these things always seem to come up in threes uh charlie watts of the rolling stones uh famed drummer of the band has passed away um recently uh it was announced that he would not take place in their their you know uh next tour uh things like that but obviously there there was something going on there so just uh three major people uh as far as i'm concerned in in the world that we live in as far as pop culture goes and stuff like that so had to bring up charlie watts passing as well and rest in peace uh to him from us here at the what's real podcast my sentiments exactly hey yo so let's get into some more uh happy things to some degree uh this is uh, probably the only thing that we're going to talk about at the beginning of the show here uh that has to do with professional wrestling uh but since we cover it here on the show and i'm sure we'll be doing it for season three because man this fall is going to be jam-packed with stuff here for the show uh but dark side of the ring season three will be returning on my birthday september 16th at 9 p.m eastern on vice Uh, The new episodes take a look at are going to be the WWE Plane Ride from Hell, Chris Canyon, FMW, Johnny K-9, Luna Vachon, XPW, and The Steroid Trial. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, seven episodes there that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, We'll obviously get into more information about those down the road, but the J, we knew it was coming, and boy, it sure came fast, didn't it?
1: well uh, the, the countdown has begun hate you and uh, yeah I'm super excited for this uh, this is when we throw out words of of, of old hate you and I am geeked for the return of season three of Dark Side of the Ring to close this out, but you you just ran through it. Some amazing topics. Uh, I think all of them are going to be interesting. We always state, man, sometimes the ones that you don't expect to be interesting uh, are the ones that stand out and things like that. So I'm interesting, interested to see if that happens and how they cover some of that stuff, but some great topics. and And we love that. And it's just adding to a steroid-fueled pun intended with the steroid trials, uh, What's Real podcast coming in the fall. For those that have been regular listeners, we appreciate you. And this fall is going to be a hell of a ride because under the umbrella of pop culture and sports and wrestling and movies, this fall 2021 is going to be stacked here at the What's Real podcast. So get ready. And this is going to be a part of that, the remaining episodes of Dark Side of the Ring season three.
0: So that leads me to ask you, the Jay, since we're talking about it here, which one of these is the one that you kind of have an asterisk next is the one that you're really excited about.
1: You know what? We we've heard about the two so much, uh, but they're just such huge topics. And I just can't wait to see what the dark side of the ring team does with them. And it's going to be a cop out. I'm, I'm choosing to. And that's the plane ride from hell on the steroid trials or neck and neck for me. Uh, very interested in the other ones as well. But those two, uh, again, for as much as uh, we have talked about those uh, incidents in the past and kind of know a lot, you and I, uh, again, it's going to be fun seeing what they cover that we aren't aware of possibly and different things like that.
0: No, I think that's a good call. I think both of those, I think all of them look really interesting. But for some reason, the two that I keep coming back to is the Chris Canyon one and the Johnny Canine one uh for those who might not be familiar johnny K9 was a wrestler specifically in smoky mountain uh and we'll just say that he got wrapped up with bikers at one point and may or may not have firebombed a police station and chris canyon was a uh in the closet gay wrestler uh that unfortunately killed themselves and it a lot of that stuff did not really come out until the his final days and I think that and I remember, you know, we were all even really surprised by it and stuff. So I could just imagine, you know, the the story that they're going to tell uh, with those two. So it's it's going to be a fantastic season, though, without a doubt. Oh, I can't wait,
1: man. Again, adding to the content of our show and uh, we, we love it. You know, this has uh, been a great season so far, the first half. So I can't see what they bring. Can't wait to see what they bring here to close out season three with this this handful of very interesting looking
0: episodes absolutely so stay tuned here to the what's real podcast because we will definitely be taking a look at the remainder of season three for sure um dude this is crazy uh you know we we obviously here on the show take a look uh at hard knocks and right now they're covering the dallas cowboys and Uh, We're recording this part of our show before Hard Knocks, just so everybody knows, just in case something gets explained, we'll obviously talk about it a little bit later in the Hard Knocks segment. But um, ESPN's Adam Schefter has concerning injury update for the Cowboys' Dak Prescott. And, you know, we were talking about, if you've been following our coverage, how uh, Dak is not really throwing the football. He has an issue with his shoulder. And, uh, you know, they're kind of keeping him out and stuff like that, which is you know totally normal for nfl teams during the uh regular or during the preseason um but he has not really been doing much and there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes and adam Schefter um basically said that dak might not fully be back all season as he deals with last year's ankle injury and his recent shoulder strain so i think what he's trying to say there is there's a possibility that either he doesn't play at all or we're going to see a very very different version of Dak. um just curious what you think the jay what you if you think there's truth to this if you think it's just a large speculation i will say though that Schefter does not have a reputation of like wild speculation so if he's saying that i believe he has a source that a really good one that's kind of giving him some of this information
1: that's what I was going to mention. This is a good source, a solid source, as far as in, insider NFL information goes. And uh, they, like they mentioned in the article, dropping a bombshell report. And that's what it was for me. I mean, we we mentioned in our coverage of the first couple episodes of Hard Knocks AL where they have been kind of skirting around really specifics on Dak's injury. Yep. Uh, they've been talking about it and stuff, and we completely understand that. They're not going to show their, their cards and whatnot. But nonetheless, we, we don't know exactly exactly the the details and very specifics of the shoulder injury so with Schefter's report here this is bringing up what could be some very trying times for the Cowboys because they just signed Dak as we know to an exponential contract and deal and according to this report if he is not fully back this entire season that is going to be absolutely humongous uh, quite obviously for the Dallas Cowboys this
0: year yeah without a doubt I mean I think that you know they're a a strong contender to make the playoffs with him and without him they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league Uh, that's just a fact they have no other quarterback ready to go they have Ben DiNucci that's the only other quarterback that they have right now that has a shot at even making the team as a backup so if Dak is remotely in bad shape this season uh, it's going to be a rough year for Dallas and Dallas Cowboy fans, unfortunately for them, because I think it's funny.
1: <laughs> as it That's- was, yeah. Well, as it was summed up with the Cowboys' season opener just a few weeks away, the clock is ticking for the coaching staff to make a decision on Prescott. And at this time, presently, as we talk, hey, it doesn't sound like Prescott is going to miss Dallas' Week One showdown against Tampa Bay whether or not he'll be effective is a different story and that's again the big concern is like uh, as as we've mentioned he might be playing through the injury dealing with the pain taking whatever you know drugs or whatever that that they're going to do to numb him up to play but how effective is he going to be if he's still you know seeing how his ankle's going to do on top of having a nagging throwing arm injury
0: cool I mean Dak's a mobile quarterback I would say um but you know if you don't have a good throwing arm and your ankles fucked up then exactly you're, you're completely ineffective. good luck. yeah exactly especially in today's nfl because you're not getting away with nothing with these guys anymore it's it's ridiculous so uh but yeah we'll have to see how that goes and obviously we'll be talking a little bit more about that later on in our hard knock segment so stay tuned for that uh just an interesting thing i saw this the jay uh magic johnson surprise or surprisingly magic johnson surpasses Kawhi leonard once again to become the winningest player in nba history so just in case people are unaware of how this works this goes with career record so here are some of the people on this list so magic johnson at uh number one of all time he just got in that position again because number two player is current and he lost some playoff games this year so magic johnson is number one with 72.8 percent Kawhi Leonard is now in second place with 72.4%. Third is Michael Cooper with 72.1%. Casey Jones uh, is at 71.8%. Tom Heinsohn is at 71.7%. Larry Bird comes in at 71.5%. Sam Jones at 70.8%. Bill Russell at 70.6%. Danny Green at 70.5%. And Tim Duncan at 70.4%. Now. I don't think it's surprising to a lot of people that Magic Johnson's at the top of this list, but like this list altogether is a pretty surprising list because you don't see a lot of familiar names on here that you think you would probably see. Uh like for me, one name I expected to see on here was Shaq. Because Shaq didn't play on too many terrible teams, but he's nowhere to be found on this list. Yeah, no
1: Shaq, no Kobe, no Jordan, no yep.
0: LeBron. Yep crazy and we we've
1: we've talked about it in the past just with our personal NBA talk just kind of talking things get brought up about how you know in 2021 I know there's a lot of people out there that that are in the know about Magic but nonetheless just as far as certain topics go and the way people talk we we both were saying we feel like Magic Johnson is somebody that doesn't get enough credit you know we're coming off of an article that's saying he's one of the greatest players of all time I just think in a lot of sports talk that i hear about past nba johnson kind of gets left in the shuffle you know lost in the shuffle sometimes
0: well especially too because you think these days with the way the current nba is with it kind of being like positionless basketball and how people always talk about if this guy could play in this era and this guy could play in that era magic johnson played in the era that he played in but like he definitely would be just as good today if not better Cause he'd probably get the opportunity to shoot threes more. So his scoring average would probably go up on top of at the time when he retired, he was the assist leader all time ever until John Stockton came along. But like magic Johnson, without a doubt, is the greatest point guard in the history of the NBA. And I don't think it's really close. Uh, Like like they said on
1: FadeAwayWorld.net, Johnson was so great. He was able to win an NBA championship and finals MVP in his rookie year while his teammate was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He revolutionized the point guard position and showed that you could be a great scorer while still being an orchestrator and passer for your team, as you just mentioned. Hey, you know, with the uh, assists. So, so yeah, th- this was always cool to stumble upon these these lists and check things out. You know, with our cavalcade of of topics and, and covering different sports. Uh, but yeah, this this was unique and it was really cool that Ka- Kawi Leonard went ahead of him, but still being an active player, as you mentioned, and losing some games this year, he went from number one to number two again. And Magic Johnson, just a 0.4% difference there, 72.8 to 72.4. But that that's what happens when you're still active and, and you lose some
0: games. Absolutely. So it's. It, I just thought that was super interesting when I ran across that, so I wanted to bring it up on the show. Uh, and, dude, this is something that really kind of blew my mind when I saw this. And this is 100% out of our era. Uh, But it seems that Major League Baseball will abandon T.O.P.S. as its partner for trading cards, ending a relationship that's been in place since 1952. Fanatics, the company that makes sports apparel, is expected to get into the trading guard deal. Instead, according to two people familiar with the matter, Fanatics and Major League Baseball declined to comment uh and dude that's kind of sad to see this anyway because we've kind of talked about this sparringly in the past on the show um how huge the world of trading cards has gotten again and isn't it kind of weird as soon as that boom happens again major league baseball and tops have this business split which just like it's been going on since 1952 why like what's the split for now
1: yeah, 70 years, man. I guess everything can come to an end. What goes up must come down, all that kind of stuff, cliche. But yeah, this is pretty crazy. Since 1952, this relationship has been in place. And uh, you know, here in 2021, it looks like it's going to end. And as you mentioned, man, it probably has to do with money because a lot of money is involved in this. And we're talking about the tops as a stock and things like that. And NASDAQ had them valued at $1.3 billion. Uh, you know, this this is uh, saying the tops was a public company before being taken private following a three hundred and eighty five million dollar deal all the way back in 2007. So, you know, it's it's like anything. I think that the money and business aspect of it, like we always talk about, hey, you know, is involved here and uh, it's just a pure business move.
0: Yeah, it's kind of sad to see because I don't know about you, but at least, you know, like everybody, it seems like in our generation, as far as like guys go uh collected baseball cards and tops was the name um in baseball cards for pretty much the entire time that i was a kid i remember when other companies like upper deck and and a different few other like don russ and other ones were around too uh but tops was always the main one the easiest one to find the one that had the biggest amount of market share um, now, it's not to say that they'll go anywhere because I'm sure Tops probably still makes NBA cards and NFL cards and things like that. But as we know in the card game, the OG uh, sport, as far as that goes, is definitely baseball. So still kind of weird to see and kind of sad to see a 70 year uh, business relationship get broken up, especially with, you know, sports cards and stuff kind of on the rebound now.
1: I know it's it's nuts. And just seeing some of these numbers like we were talking about is Is just crazy where the MLB turning to the Fanatics company, which they already own equity in Fanatics. So that might have some leverage, you know, going towards the MLB making the deal with Fanatics and different insider things that we don't know about. But it was saying that in addition, Fanatics already owns all of MLB's e-commerce rights. It wants to grow its business outside of sports merchandising, including sports betting. Earlier this month, Fanatics secured a three hundred and twenty-five million dollars money raise to expand. And that company, hey, you know, get this, you know, again, just throwing out these numbers for this this topic here. Fanatics is now valued at eighteen billion dollars.
0: Wow! And there, the Fanatics is primarily known for being like a sports apparel company, right, and dude? Their shit is just. Flooded everywhere And I'm talking about you go into like sporting goods stores They have it Uh, Even places like Marshalls and Burlington End up having a lot of this stuff So I think a lot of it's just insanely produced stuff Uh, And a lot of it's kind of shitty and cheaply made too. So hopefully it doesn't translate that way into the sports card arena. Uh, Because if it does, man, it's probably not gonna be too good of a business for either one of them. So uh, we'll have to see how that turns out, but it's crazy to think that that long of a relationship is just up in dust at this point. So uh, guys, we are gonna take a quick commercial break. And I know it's a little bit earlier than we normally do this, okay? There's a massive reason for this. So if you guys are into our pro wrestling coverage please stick around because we have what i don't know if you would agree with this the jay probably the biggest wrestling segment that we've ever had here on the what's real podcast
1: well there's just so much going on right now in professional wrestling and this weekend in particular just so happened where the stars aligned and we're coming off one of the hottest overall pro wrestling weekends in memory and that's saying a lot but with all these varying companies having huge shows, so much talent involved
0: in said shows, there is a lot to cover. Absolutely. So, uh and of course, we're going to be reviewing WWE SummerSlam 2021. We're going to talk a little bit about NXT TakeOver 36. We're going to talk about AEW Dynamite and the biggest debut in the history of AEW and a ton of really big wrestling news. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back with all that and more right after this on the What's Real Podcast. Wanna advertise on the What's Real Podcast? Send us an email today. Just title your email ads at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. For cheap, easy, and affordable rates, contact us today. Again, that's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. If would you like to advertise, send us an email today. and we're back and it is time for what i think is going to be the biggest wrestling segment we've ever had here on the what's real podcast let's get into some of the news from the weekend Uh, obviously the biggest news of the weekend was the debut in aew and this is on dynamite uh, friday night a lot of people knew it was going to happen uh, but obviously you don't know until it happens so you turn on uh, i'm sorry rampage i said dynamite so you turn on Rampage and uh, you know, right out of the gate, cult of personality hits, and CM Punk makes his return to professional wrestling, specifically AEW, and what I can say is one of the biggest moments that I could possibly remember in pro wrestling. One of the biggest reactions. People were crying. It's like me and you talk about this all the time, man. Like when you're a wrestling fan, you endure a lot of stupid shit. Uh, but when they do stuff right, it's so fucking amazing. And this definitely 100% fits in that category, the J.
1: Seven years in the making. Hey, you know, and all our assumptions and questions were answered. They, like you mentioned, went right out of the gate, which was smart, huge CM Punk chant to open the show. Uh, there was some, you know, opening stuff from the announcers. And again, as mentioned, Cult of personality hit, still able to use that music because uh, WWE obviously doesn't own that one. That's why Vince likes to own the music. He's like, God damn it, pal. I'm sure he was pissed about that. But uh, great debut. And it was it was more it was one of those rare things that was more than you could hope for, kind of thing. Yeah. Like I, I, I mentioned to you, I watched it four times, yep. back to back to back to back, just the entrance. I reshowed my wife the next day and got goosebumps. Again, watching it with her, just showing her the next day. I even did that rock thing and pointed that out. Like, look on Goosebumps. And this is the fifth time I'm watching it. It was that good. I liked his interview that he did. Of yep. course, he made the the jab at WWE about how he left professional wrestling in 05, which is when he went to the WWE system from Ring of Honor. So he's basically, you know, using the whole I was in the realm of sports entertainment for all that time, not pro wrestling kind of kind of verbiage. And I like the fact that uh, his first opponent is going to be Darby Allen because that will also involve Sting, which is really cool. And it it just worked out really well. Uh, I didn't want to to diatribe too much. I just had seen this going into the show just while we're here. hey, uh, Did you happen to see what was going around Twitter on Booker T's comments on CM Punk's debut, which, of course, he's just being the WWE company guy, so I get it but it was kind of palm the forehead kind of shit.
0: Yeah, I did. He's an idiot. He couldn't be more wrong. Um, It's also like, and and I'm not trying to be a jerk here because I always like Booker T in the ring and stuff. Booker T's never once in his career had a moment like this. Not even once. Um, And he's had multiple world titles in the whole nine. He's never had one moment in his career this big. Um, And it also too kind of leads me back to this. There was comments last week from Roman Reigns where he said about how CM Punk wasn't as good, or he, he, he was not as good as he thought he was. He was never as good as John Cena, and he's not a needle mover like The Rock. And that aged pretty poorly too, I think, uh, because he <laughs> he moved the needle for Rampage uh, in only its second episode. It got the second highest rating in the history of AEW. So clearly, Punk is still moving the needle. And, you know, we've talked about this off the air uh the jay and that's how i was kind of explaining it uh punk is the last needle mover the last one um not saying guys can't have an effect on ratings and things like that but there there's certain people in an upper echelon area of professional wrestling that move the needle more than others and cm punk is in that class of guys he's one of the last few people to be like that
1: Exactly. And that's the thing. There's been a cavalcade as always nowadays with social media and stuff of mixed reviews and different things. And it's just like, like you said, we, we earned this moment. Let us have our moment. Yeah. But you're always going to have that. And like, you know, as far as Rain's comments go, it was just kind of funny. Like we were talking about it off air where it's like he's comparing him to two of the main Dudes of all time. So it's like, whatever. I don't even like almost, you don't even know what what he means by it. Cause like I said, it's like somebody saying like, well, he's not as good as Michael Jordan in basketball. And it's like, okay, well, is that like, are you ripping on me or, or what?" with, with that kind of comment? And, And for those that don't know, Booker T just basically said he felt like punk didn't need to make the jab at WWE and that that was a miss. So whatever. I mean, it's, that's his opinion. I mean, he has some somewhat of a point there. I disagree with it, but it's not the biggest deal in the world. Uh, I just wanted to mention that in the conversation, some of the reactions of Punk. And just go, you know, there was so much positive stuff.
0: Just name a couple of the negative ones. Here. Dude, that's such a shit take from him. It really is. It's terrible because, dude, it, this is a guy that literally worked for WWE, quit, got into a lawsuit with the company due to him airing out his grievances on a podcast that lawsuit cost him a shitload of money out of his own pocket which by the way he won um and it's the elephant in the room so booker t couldn't be more wrong if they did that it's like everybody would be pissed that he didn't acknowledge it at all and i'll tell you exactly something, that's how i looked at it and i'll tell you something that i i figured out i even told you about this and it's gonna be a theme of this wrestling segment here, believe me when I tell you, is on Friday night with the second ever Rampage, AEW managed to create a shitload of goodwill amongst wrestling fans because they fully delivered what they promised. And like you said, it was even more than what you expected. That's how they're doing shit. They're really hitting home runs with stuff like this. And this isn't the end of it, which we're gonna get into in the remainder of the segment as far as big happenings in aew but dude for for their big one like the the first thing like this that they really had to deliver they hit a fucking grand slam
1: I agree. Like I said, I, I got goosebumps. I mean, that's all I can say. Like physically, I was that pumped up. I thought it was awesome. And you hit the nail on the hey, yeah as we've been saying at the beginning of this segment, man, where you, you go through a lot of, of bullshit. We had to deal with the pandemic, like so many entertainment things with, with not having live crowds with pro wrestling. Like we mentioned, we really needed that, but it just goes back to, to some of the content of pro wrestling in this last year and a half and to finally be out of that with with big crowds and all this different stuff and in a seven-year build like we said cm punk being away from a pro wrestling ring for seven years coming back in chicago uh, as we mentioned man that that was one of the if not the biggest pop legitimately of all time
0: mm-hmm. yeah as far as i'm concerned at least ones in recent memory i'd say it's one of the biggest ones in the last 10-15 years without a doubt Without even thinking twice about it, so you know you can't be really down on that at all. So kudos to AEW for being able to deliver such a big moment for their company uh, and for wrestling fans because I thought it was fantastic. Just as you did the J, and I know that we're both definitely already invested in AEW, and this certainly does not hurt. So because
1: that, that's the next big test. Hey Ed, is how he's going to be booked, and you know now now there's a long road ahead to appropriately ingrain CM Punk within AEW so it's going to be interesting over the next couple months to see where everything goes
0: I completely agree there and uh, some other news came out over the weekend uh, as we talked about here on the podcast with the WWE's releases Uh, of course they released Bray Wyatt So listen to this. This is uh, from an article on cultaholic.com. Freddie Prince Jr., a former WWE creative person, which a lot of people may not know. Um, And yes, it's the same Freddie Prince Jr. you think it is from She's All That and all that kind of stuff. So he says, the creative issues with Vince McMahon and Kevin Dunn led to Bray Wyatt's WWE release. So, apparently, Freddie Prince Jr. still keeps in touch with some of the people he was friends with in the company, and he had multiple stints with the WWE as a writer between 2008 and 12. Uh, he no longer works there, but he recently still has contacts with the company, and he indicated on the Ringer Wrestling Show, that creative uh, issues with Vince and Kevin Dunn led to Bray Wyatt being let go. He initially hinted at problems between McMahon and Wyatt after uh, Ariel Hawani asked if there was any doubt in his mind about Roman Reigns' Beating John Cena at SummerSlam, he said, "Quote zero percent outside unless something crazy behind the scenes happen, happens where they're going to punish him because he didn't work the way they wanted him to work." Uh, Prince said, "It's happened before. It's happened to a guy who doesn't work there anymore. He had multiple personalities. He was a second Jenner and named after a horseman." Uh, after further probing from Hawani, Prince added, "Quote I can't tell you everything I know. I know Bray. I wouldn't say we're friends, but we're acquaintances." but I still have friends at that company. Like I said earlier, if you're willing to work a specific way, even if you had a bad match, in the eyes of the top two dudes at the company, it's a good match because you're doing business their way. If you're wanting to step out of the lane and widen your river or just show there's some other streams, even if you have a great match, it's just not a good match. And when you stick to your guns time and time again, they're gonna stick to theirs look vince is a product of the 80s it's reaganomics when there's problems he throws money at it it's an old school way of thinking it sometimes works it sometimes doesn't but they're men and that will double down him and kevin and for better or worse they will always double down so you know without getting into all the extensive details here um that kind of showed up as you know this news story throughout the week and you know, I think a lot of people have been kind of speculating and and whatnot what the future is going to be for Bray Wyatt, but we also heard a little bit more as far as that goes, too. And to put it simply, it looks as if Bray Wyatt is definitely going to be heading to AEW.
1: And this just exemplifies what we already know about the inner workings of WWE that we have said for years that we've talked about on this podcast. And with Vince McMahon being the the lead chief, you know, like we, we talk about, there's it's not a situation where there's a lot of chiefs in the village like in WCW back in the day, which eventually led to their demise. it's it's for better or worse, as Freddie Prince put it, that Vince is in control of this entire company. And with that fact is the worst part where where it's like this, where a guy can't have any creative freedom in an art form that Spews creativity. You know, it's like he basically said if you go off and kind of improv, then you get reprimanded and you get in a bad light. So I think this makes sense. Freddie Prinz, you know, we talk about our sources. This is another solid source. And I think that it's something that just, again, exemplifies something that we already know. And this was no surprise to me. And now you're just feeding all this talent to AEW, and we can get into that because now AEW's problem with only three hours of weekly television is having just a, what was already a stacked roster is almost going to be doubled in a lot of ways over the next few months with just ridiculous talent on how they're going to filter all these guys into their product. But at the end of the day, hey, as you know, that is a very good problem to have.
0: Absolutely. And it's definitely really weird right now because we've gotten another news report recently. We we talked about it a little bit last week on the show about how NXT is going through major changes. Um, and they're reverting totally away from bringing in independent talent apparently. And this is bizarre, it's a it's a really weird move. And this is why, and I don't know if you see it the, this way, the J or if you even thought about it this way, but let me throw it at you. So one thing AEW is pretty well known for doing right now is something we keep hearing uh, listed as the forbidden door which means they work with a ton of other companies. And whenever you watch AEW, you really know never know who you're going to see. And they work with New Japan. They obviously work with Impact. They work with AAA. Um, they work with a lot of wrestling companies all over the United States and the world, frankly. And it seems to me that the wwe is going backwards instead of trying to work with other people or do anything they are like folding more within and choosing to do more stuff within uh they're gonna pick their own talent and try and cultivate it on their own which is something the wwe has been big on for at least the last 20 years um but they seem to be reverting back negatively instead of making any positive movements or you know and it's it's the same thing frankly that we saw with them in wcw in the 90s the jay uh where it took forever for wwe or back then wwf to take their competition seriously and by the time they did in the 90s they lost 83 weeks of the ratings on television on monday night do you think this is another ratings. case for that or do you just think it's their sheer arrogance at this point
1: I think it's like anything. There's a lot of factors involved, of course. But at the end of the day, competition is needed in in business. And we're finally starting to see, you know, because it's not just AEW. It's all these wrestling companies that are out there right now you know, throw New Japan in the mix out of Japan, mm-hmm. throw Chip away in the mix out of Mexico that are competition to WWE. So those combined, you know, even if they're not combining forces as, as you stated, Ed, which in some capacities they are, but nonetheless, just them being out there, being successful, professional wrestling companies, being legitimate alternatives to WWE, it is developing serious competition. And it's really coming to a head with the recent exponential growth of AEW the last few months. And again, the actual needle movers talent-wise that they're getting. If they do hypothetically get, they already have CM Punks for sure. Tony Khan just said today that his contract is not short-term. He he didn't go too specific and he's into it, too. but but he said he's full-time and it's not a short-term contract. Then you hypothetically got Daniel Bryan coming in. You you have the rumored uh, Bray Wyatt after his non-compete is up coming in. Adam you Cole. You have a talent like Adam Cole coming in. Flair. You already have a pretty stacked roster. You have Flair maybe jumping over to do some stuff and bring that clout. So there's a lot going on to develop eventual legitimate competition to WWE, which you would hope would change WWE for the better, as you were kind of saying, hey, uh, to the past parallel where history repeats itself with their war in, you know, going back in the late 90s, or early 2000s with WCW. So that that all can come about again for sure. And we're, we're going to see in the next few months with these guys coming in, what they do, where the numbers are and what will really happen. But to the point at hand with the redevelopment of NXT, we had talked about it when it was first announced. I, I had made the statement that this was like generalized discrimination. Now there's another level to that this week where I was alluding to generalized discrimination being that, NXT is basically going to be developed with wrestlers that are six foot and above that are 29 and under, and now can't be a established independent talent on top of it, which so as you stated, they're just finding guys out of nowhere and trying
0: to develop them, which I don't see that as being the right way to do it. But who am I? And dude, that leads to a couple other things. Like I even uh, used this analogy this week of like, wwe saying this is kind of like them being like we couldn't make stars out of really talented independent wrestlers but we're gonna make stars out of former football players and shot putters because that's a, that's like summing up how stupid of a statement this is right here and then i don't know if you saw this but tony khan came out this week from obviously aew and i kind of agree with him on this he said i don't believe there is really one uniform way to train every professional wrestler and I think you might agree with me on that because there's guys that, that, guys that are high flyers, uh, guys that are 400 pounds, guys that are muscle dudes, women, uh, luchadors. Uh, and you know if you're 370 pounds, you're not gonna be trained to be a luchador. Like, it doesn't work across the board for any kind of talent because professional wrestling is really such a varied art form. There is no uniform, singular way of training guys. It doesn't necessarily work that way for everybody
1: exactly and we mentioned as well Nick Khan the current uh, president of WWE had stated in an interview that was another Ariel Horwani interview that got made a lot of rounds some of the stuff that came out of that and one of the things that he said that me you and I were kind of discussing hey was that comparison to the NFL and how they recruit and at the end of the day that honestly just didn't didn't make sense to either of us that know a lot about the inner workings of both the nfl and wwe and that was just a terrible comparison because you're talking about a real sport with with a collegiate you know aspect as well it as even high school system, athletics at least. it's it's completely different professional wrestling no matter how you slice it is also under the umbrella of entertainment so to compare it to, to the NFL and, and how they recruit and things like that was weird. And like I mentioned, man, I, I really want to hear what Triple H truly has to say about all this right now. He's just had corporate rhetoric come out here and there. Nothing real serious. So, you know, he's holding back on his true feelings as far as what he's putting out there for public consumption on how he feels. I would really like to be the, the proverbial fly on the wall for Triple H right now and how he's thinking of dealing with all this, because again, what came out of Melcher's articles with this and everything else that I've read, these decisions, of course, were made by Vince McMahon and and his team. You know, so
0: these are orders coming down to Triple H. And dude, the weirdness and confusion here doesn't stop with what we've already mentioned. So in another report, this is from cagesideseats.com, Recode Media's Peter Kafka asked WWE President Nick Kahn about a possibility of a sale. This is Khan's response, quote, well, look, we're open for business on anything and everything. And even some of the business plans that we've announced recently, I think are different or unique to what the company had traditionally done. So we're open for business. If somebody calls, we'll listen, but we're not active. We're not out in the marketplace trying to change that structure, unquote. So, it sounds like they're open for business, potentially open to a sale. Um, them saying this means that they're clearly trying to sell to, to drive the numbers up here. Like, well, we're not looking to sell, but if somebody has a great offer, we'll take it. Um, and a lot of people have been speculating with a lot of these high dollar releases and major superstars getting released, they're trying to bring their numbers down to be, be more appealing for a potential sale. Um, so it just muddies the water even more that they're doing a lot of this stuff, but it does kind of seem like it. there's a lot of fat trimming going on here, I don't know if I'm reading that the correct way, but there's definitely, and this is for the first time maybe since we've been fans, there's a lot of really weird shit going on behind the scenes at WWE that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to everybody, but I'm sure eventually it's going to make a lot of sense when we see what's really going on.
1: This, again, goes into all the business acumen and infrastructure of the WWE as a business, not the entertainment side of it, which we look for, you know, and, and that's that's like we've been talking about, too. We've been completely transparent, not just shitting on WWE, just kind of kind of calling it like it is, as we do here on the What's Real podcast. had hey, where we did say Vince this whole time is laughing all the way to the bank, as stated in this article article. WWE's current profit levels are at a historic high, yeah. even during a global pandemic. And I, I said that thing to you because we were laughing because we'll get into our SummerSlam review, of course. But summer this year, SummerSlam was the highest grossing, most watched SummerSlam statistically of all time. So, you know, it's, it's one of those conundrums where it depends on how you look at this. And it goes back to what I always say when you talk about the current WWE and how it's been for like the last decade plus when they went public, it's quote unquote corporate professional wrestling, which is a weird dynamic. And that all goes into this. Like you said, very muddy waters with everything. And, and again, it's another
0: situation where you're dealing with billions of dollars. Yep. I couldn't say that any better than Jay. So uh, also, one other thing I wanted to make a note of, because we talked about it, I believe it was last week or the week before on the podcast, about uh, the all-out 2021 dream match that they were trying to schedule between John Moxley and Hiroyoshi Tanahashi. Uh, however, it seems now that that match is potentially getting canceled. Uh, Tanahashi, who recently captured the IWGP United States Championship, will defend his title against Kota Ibushi at Wrestle Grand Slam. The point of contention here is that the New Japan uh, event goes down on September 4th in Japan, just a day before All Out on September 5th in Chicago. So it seems that that match might be off the table right now. Uh, It doesn't mean that they're gonna cancel it altogether or they might uh, eventually do that match at uh, some other point. Uh, a lot of people are assuming that Moxley and Tanahashi will happen uh, as potentially at Wrestle Kingdom 16 in January of next year. Uh, but there's obviously no way of uh, being able to tell that anyways at this point. But since we brought it up originally, I figured, it, you know, to give the update was kind of important.
1: That's where I'm at on. And I think eventually it happens, but I don't see it at all out. I, I was kind of wary of it when we spoke of it last week because nothing you, you know it is nowadays hey yeah we're in the know man until something's officially announced yep. you got to be skeptical even with guys like Meltzer and all that yeah. kind of stuff so with without it being officially announced it, it it was a good idea uh Moxley is really pushing for this as his dream match I'm sure that he was in Tony Khan's uh, ear but at the end of the day as as stated here there's no way that he's going to be, you know, Tanahashi, that is, is going to be in a huge professionally ma- professional wrestling match in Japan on September 4th and then make it to all out in Chicago by September 5th to wrestle in another huge match. That's just, I'm not saying it's an in, impossible, but 90% chance in the Jays' mind that that can happen. Uh, but eventually this is something with the partnership with John Moxley really pushing for it. That can happen down the road, and and of course, as huge fans of both of these guys and the dream dream match aspect of it, I'm all for it. You know, hopefully it does. But as far as all out, which we stated is right around the corner here, the first Sunday in uh, or I'm sorry, the first Saturday in September so i don't i don't see this coming into fruition by then by any stretch
0: yeah i don't either so we have a lot of stuff to cover here in this segment so let's just get on to a bonus review shall we uh, we're going to jump a little bit further ahead in the weekend we're going to go to sunday august 22nd uh this is from orlando florida at the capitol wrestling center and i'm talking about nxt takeover 36 Uh, this is a show going into it that i had very little interest in and uh, it didn't take long for that to kind of turn around so on the pre-show they had ridge holland defeated trey baxter by pinfall in a minute and 45 obviously nothing to talk about there the opening matchup at nxt Takeover, however has been a feud that's been going on for quite some time now Uh, and it was a singles match for the million dollar championship uh, between Cameron Grimes and L.A. Knight, had Grimes lost, DiBiase would have to become Knight's butler, and we saw Cameron Grimes defeat L.A. Knight to win the Million Dollar Championship at 1631, and what I thought was a pretty decent match overall. Yeah, this
1: wasn't, you know, I'm not gonna say it was some like knock your socks off storyline, but with a lot of the stuff we get through nowadays, and again, the theme of the podcast, we've been referencing a few times, like all the kind of crap. As professional wrestling at times we have to sit through i, I like this storyline you know at least it, it kind of made sense it was kind of old school you got dibiase involved grimes is funny knight plays like well into it as far as his character goes so i did like the backdrop of, of the storyline for this and the match again it was it was kind of old school you know kind of like an old school match it was really good they did some cool things uh, i thought it might have went on a little too long you know at the end there it's kind of maybe dragging a tiny
0: bit but at the end of the day, it was a fun match, and, and I like what they pulled off with. it. Same here. So uh, next up, we already had the NXT Women's Championship match that they've been building up for some time, and we saw Raquel Gonzalez defeat her former best friend Dakota Kai by pinfall at 12 minutes and 24 seconds. And I got to claim a little bit of ignorance here, the Jay, because after this happened, they had somebody make a gigantic return. I don't even know who that was. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> I don't either. I'm with you. Cause if you don't watch NXT as much anymore, uh, but I guess that was the NXT UK women's champion, Kaylee Ray.
0: Okay. So okay. I
1: guess they're, they're setting up some sort of feud with her, but yeah, if, if you're not catching NXT UK women's division wrestling, hey, uh yeah, I can see why you would miss that. And I just, found that out and researched myself. I had no clue who that was during the show. Uh, But to this match, this had the right amount of time. Like you mentioned, just shy of 13 minutes. And this was really good. And and once again, I got to shout it out. Uh, I like the fact that they had a decent storyline to this. Raquel and Dakota were paired up for a while uh, as kind of Dakota, I'm sure, was kind of acclimating raquel to nxt and things like that and it was the right time to break them up and put on a feud match like this and i i really got a kick out of it i thought the, that the women did really good in
0: this. same week. here yeah i've i wasn't a real big fan of raquel gonzalez uh prior to her championship run but i think she's gotten significantly better and i'm definitely uh you know interested to see where she goes from here so decent match i'll give it Yeah, that. good match Yep. Next up was what I thought probably was the greatest match of the weekend. Uh, it was a singles match for the NXT United Kingdom Championship, and it was the match that I was looking forward to most here. And we saw Ilya Dragunov defeat Walter by submission in 22 minutes and three seconds in a match that felt like it was at least 40 minutes. And these dudes beat the ever loving shit out of each other. Um, <laughs> really impressed. Uh, this is the type of pro wrestling that although I know can be horribly irresponsible if the wrong people are doing it but when two guys know what they're doing and are really good at working the style it's about as good as pro wrestling can get and this is one of the best matches I've seen this year without a doubt
1: as Kevin Pontaya, that I read off on my reference emails uh, to prepare for the show and, and have as a backdrop to bring up some stats has stated here hey you Walter's reign is at 170 days going in, which is absurd, which is crazy. So for those that don't know, Walter was the UK champion for 170 days leading up to this match, which was just one hell of a run. He fits that character so well to carry the NXT UK title like that. So it worked out well. But like you said, hey, yeah, this took me back to the days of watching Japanese tapes into the early days of Ring of Honor. With these hard-hitting matches that you don't see as much anymore. And that's one thing that's cool about it. When when you don't see matches like this every week, it really, really uh, stands out when it does happen. And you mentioned it, dude. I'll, I'll use your term. They beat the living shit out of each other, the ever-living shit out of each other, to the point where I liked it. I, I mentioned to you for Dragonoff. I liked it better than like a serious blade job in certain ways. He had a, like a big cut on his head that wasn't really bleeding. It was just very prevalent. You could just really that was see from it. The week before. And then his whole <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he came in hurt. And then his whole upper body was just marks and bruises that even my seven-year-old son was pointing out like how beat up he was. Some of those chops to the back of the neck. We we haven't seen chops like that in years. Uh, this one just back and forth i love this match they had me you know about a quarter of the way in it was one of those ones where i always talk about i sat up in my on my couch you know like it got me up and i they just took me on the ride man this was one of my matches of the year in 2021
0: dude Ilya Dragonoff is really exceptional in the fact that i can't remember too many people in the history of wwe at his size being allowed to do what he does And I don't mean that as a strike against him. I'm actually kind of giving NXT credit for letting this dude kind of loose to do what he does in his matches. And dude, Walter is really fucking good. And I don't mean just in this match, just the fact that he seems to have almost everything available at his disposal as far as wrestling moves, the way he works, what he can do to other guys because of his size. Um, He can move and work uh at a crazy pace and he can do things that you wouldn't expect to see from a guy that looks like him um without a doubt dude i think both of these guys are pretty special and it's gonna be a fucking shame if vince now i would expect vince to somehow find a way to fuck up dragon off because he's small um if vince doesn't know what to do with somebody like walter it, it's over it's over. Cause you're not going to find too many guys that are like him. as ta- like, he's almost like a Ray Mysterio in that they're an anomaly for what they are. You're not going to find another person that's even remotely like them. So when you have someone like that, you fucking protect everything about them because they're exceptional.
1: We would just have, have to assume Vince turns to triple H and says, Paul, what's, what's his deal? Like he never even saw one Walter match, you know, yeah. and that's that's one of the problems. But, yeah, I'm with you. It'd be it'd be really a shame and, and tough. But on the other side, we've seen it time and time again, you know, so uh, I, I could really easily see him getting called up and just lost in the shuffle because of the earlier topics we were talking about with with Vince and the way that they run creative right now. And it's like you have to be in their lane or bust. And that's just so constrictive for creativity that it doesn't make sense to me.
0: No, I agree. It's kind of a shame that that's what's going on up there right now, but there's not really much anybody could do about it unless they decide to sell the company. So uh, next up, we had a two out of three falls match. uh, That's been one of the most longest running feuds uh, that I can remember in recent history in NXT. Uh, We saw Kyle O'Reilly defeat Adam Cole, two falls to one in 25 minutes and 20 seconds uh the first fall was a traditional wrestling match which we saw kyle o'reilly win by pinfall uh fall two was a street fight won by cole via pinfall and fall three was a steel cage won by kyle o'reilly via submission um these two worked together really well this was not something i wasn't expecting this to be a shitty match or anything they did a great job with this um, I'm not super fond of the two out of three falls matches the way they do them in NXT anyways um, it's really bizarre though to have this match follow Dragonoff and Walter uh, even though it's a completely different match I understand why they did it but um, yeah it's you know this got probably let me see here yeah this got the most time of anything on the card which is not surprising but to get Less than or like three minutes more than than Dragonoff and Walter did. Um, it's just kind of a weird decision. Uh, and of course, uh, the news is that because Adam Cole lost, that his contract with WWE and specifically NXT is now up. And a lot of people are expecting him to join his wife Britt Baker down in NXT.
1: He he even busted out the lockjaw. Mm-hmm. A nod to Britt Baker, which is like her one of her submissions. So that was cool. But yeah, I I, I had fun with this match. I enjoyed it. I was entertained. I, I was worried myself that it might drag a bit, but I think the time was right. the The end was somewhat anticlimactic to me. You know, they uh, handcuffed Kyle, or he got handcuffed to the ropes, but then caught a, a heel hook and uh, got called a tap. It was kind of kind of weird to me. I mean, not horrible, but you know, I mean, I. I, I kind of thought it was anticlimactic. I'll say that, dude, but other
0: than that, I was entertained overall by the match. You know, you know what I will say here too. Just kind of a nod to him as well. Um, if Adam Cole is done in NXT, which I believe he is, I think that's a really cool way of him like putting over a friend uh, that they've had a long exactly. feud with, and you know. And dude, I will say this because I saw a lot of people mention this, and it, it, it's legitimate. Adam Cole might be the greatest NXT wrestler of all time there's nothing that he hasn't done he fought two war games won them both had one of the most memorable stables with the undisputed era uh in nxt history like there's really no f- long title run yeah, there's no facet of nxt that adam cole didn't do and do ext- he's the first ever north american champion there so like he is kind of the quintessential nxt superstar even though he's leaving and they should have brought him up to the main roster and actually did something with him. They didn't, and just judging from what he did in NXT, man, you're gonna be hard pressed to find somebody that's done more and more better than him.
1: Well, and that's such a great point because of that. Hey, you know, we we said that as well with uh, the the early rumors with Adam Cole possibly going to AEW. I think we were talking about it last week on the show where he's done, as you just ran through, everything he could in NXT. What's he going to resign? sign there for, especially considering everything we've covered with the complete rebuild of the NXT brand? I think all the stars have a line there for Cole to move on and try to find uh, some footing in AEW. And
0: dude, it's even weirder when you think about this, but he did the same thing in, in Ring of Honor. He stuck around there for a while until he basically did everything too and then would go on to NXT where he would go on to do everything. Now he's going to AEW. No, it's almost
1: like a old school, you know, like the territories back in the day. Sure. That's what guys would do. Yep. You go to a territory, territory, tear it up and then move on to the next one. It's kind of what Cole's doing in the modern age, which is really tough to do. But as we've been covering, there's a lot of Options and a lot of solid pro wrestling Places to go, a lot of places to work Right now, so this is the time to kind of Recreate that in your own way, and Adam Cole's Like the front runner of doing stuff like that Especially if he d- does jump ship
0: Officially to AEW. Yeah, I Couldn't agree more there, the J, and In our main event, we saw Samoa Joe defeat Karrion Cross By pinfall at 12 minutes and 24 seconds to win the NXT Championship. Uh, it looked like that Was kind of what people were expecting with the booking uh the match was good nothing crazy um just a decent match but like they kind of had a rough spot like the, this is where you're you're expected to follow fucking Dragonoff and Volter, and then adam cole and Kyle O'Reilly two out of three falls that's a difficult task for anybody i thought they did okay here wasn't too bad of a match wasn't anything mind-blowing
1: I, I enjoyed it it was hard hitting as we anticipated uh, again, I always go to the time in, in pro wrestling matches, just shy of 13 minutes what was the right amount of time, I believe, for this. Uh, the chemistry might have been a bit off, like you were alluding to, hey, but it was an acceptable match to me. And honestly, as a huge Joe fan, we've been watching Joe forever. We've seen Joe a bunch of times live, all the way going back to indie shows and always shouting at uh, IWC, or or I'm sorry, the – yeah, IWC. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it was just good to see him become the first ever three-time NXT champion. And while did Joe go full circle, becoming an announcer, you know, doing WrestleMania with a poncho on it <laughs> at one point this year. Getting, getting Getting let go. Yeah, becoming the commissioner of NXT in a weird role. And now he's the current NXT champion and the only ever three-time nxt champion in history so i like that but as you mentioned dude the the end to what was out of nowhere because both of us had agreed uh from where we stood our perspective we weren't really looking too forward to this not catching as much nxt in the coming weeks so this took me by surprise and i really enjoyed this entire show
0: same here man i can't complain at all Uh, i wanted to ask you if you saw anything about this uh did you see cross show up on raw this week
1: yeah, he looked like a modern version of uh, Rikishi's old gimmick, the Sultan or whatever the yeah, hell. Yeah,
0: dude, that's I've seen people. Compare I was like, what the to, hell? It's like the Sultan and Demolition fucked and had a gimmick. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it, dude, they're killing this dude already. It, it's so weird, but. You know, that's what happens when you head up on the main roster. So as we do here. That's what I was going to
1: say. That's what we were talking about. It's just, I don't know what Vince does. One of the guys I follow on Twitter, shout out to uh, Matt Fowler. He's a former IGN dude. He's a big wrestling guy I follow. And he said, what the clown fart fuck did they do to Karrion cross?" Yeah,
0: that's a good call, actually. <laughs> um, but as we do here on the show, with, when it comes to wrestling shows, we like to do our, a letter grade the j what is your letter grade for nxt takeover
1: i will give this one a solid b plus
0: same yeah i would totally agree there. just all around solid event so uh you know and and dude honestly this might be really weird to think of but that might have been the last nxt takeover that's even worth watching really like we don't know where the company's gonna go from here and they're going through a lot of changes so
1: that's what I was going to ask you. Did you see any? You know, I me. Mean, I always ask like things like this just so I could keep up on it. Was there any inclination when they're going to pull the trigger on all this? No. stuff? or is it going to kind of be like a slow? Because I know I saw one thing on Twitter. I think it was a Dave Meltzer uh, tweet that was saying it looks like early on here with the the reinvigorating of the NXT brand that the early heels, of course, are going to be uh, Johnny Wrestling, yeah. Pete Dunn. And that's so weird because I guess they obviously got grandfathered in because those are the so-called quote unquote midgets and eyes and 30 plus year olds. So, that it's just once again, plan D. Hey, you
0: know, what do I say? Yep. It's just, you know, and dude, like, you got to think about this what? too. How the hell does it feel? How do you feel if, if you're Johnny Gargano right now? Like, do you feel like you're good? Exactly. Do you feel like you might not have a job for another month? Who the fuck knows what's going to happen because you're falling to the whims of a company who has publicly claimed that these releases are going to continue to happen on a regular basis? So, what gives anyone the motivation to really try hard or care about anything they're doing there?
1: I agree. That's why I give uh, this show a lot of credit with all that going on and these, these guys just going in and doing their thing and working hard. That's that's yes.
0: No shade to any of the performers. I thought everybody worked really hard and, and, you know, they were out there like there was no different in in anything. So I give them credit there for being pros. So, Uh, but yeah, solid NXT takeover so that leads us uh back to the night before now we go to saturday night august 21st this is in paradise nevada at the allegiance stadium with an announced attendance of fifty one thousand three hundred and twenty six, which is pretty relevant because they haven't had a show that big uh since wrestlemania oh, a couple crazy. years ago uh and uh Here's the gist of the card. So on the pre-show, Biggie defeated Baron Corbin by pinfall at six minutes and thirty-five seconds. I just caught the tail end of this. I don't even know if you watched it, Jay. No, I missed the pre-show. Hate okay, me. so no Biggie there. Uh, SummerSlam started out this year with a WWE Raw Tag Team Championship match. And it was about seven minutes and five seconds. And we called this one RK bro, Randy Orton and Riddle defeated AJ Styles and Omos for the tag team championships of RAW. Uh, Decent match, nothing crazy. Clearly the point of this one is just to do the title change. They didn't have, you know, some lights out match. I thought it was fine. Uh, but they're going to continue to feud because they continued on monday night raw and you know you kind of expect that whenever the champions lose a belt especially when they lose it in the opener in seven minutes the feud's not over yeah
1: we could definitely run through this one because in our preview we like you said we pretty much nailed it the only thing i think i specifically said that um riddle was going to pin aj and it was orton but nonetheless we pretty much called it and it was exactly what we're saying just kind of uh a, a tag match to open the show Get things started And be about less than 10
0: minutes And that's what it was So not much you could say hey, yo. Next up was a complete fucking dog fart And I'm talking about the 3 minutes and 50 seconds That was Alexa Bliss was Defeating horrible. Eva Marie Dude, okay I, I'm i not super familiar with Piper Vivian Which is dewdrop, okay I've seen some of her stuff She was in the May Young Classic a few years ago I've seen some of her work outside of WWE She's actually Yeah, she's out of that that european indie i is it icw or one of them like that the yeah one? i'm one of them i'm yeah. sure um she's pretty decent okay it's so fucking cringeworthy because every time she shows up it feels like every like vince's in everybody's ear going ape shit because like here comes dewdrop with eva marie and now dewdrop's getting in the ring and look at dewdrop it it's so stupid of a fucking name it's cringy they like they did a segment on raw last night where she confirms that she likes the fucking name now because you gotta have her put her stamp of agreement on their dumb fucking idea um this match was awful nothing about it was even remotely appealing Eva marie at this point should not be on fucking pay-per-view especially when you're talking in a company with as much female talent as the wwe has and they're putting this goof on tv it sucks it's a waste of a waste of alexa bliss it's a waste of dew drop and it's a waste of our fucking time to be perfectly honest with you
1: that's the the biggest positive that the J could throw at it that it was less than five minutes, officially less than sure. four minutes. So I'll it take felt longer <laughs> less though, than any minute. It minutes. felt longer than four <laughs> it minutes. It felt long. It, it felt long as hell. It was terrible. You you hit the net like uh, again. You, you said it. It was cringeworthy. I would use that terminology and and probably add awkward. A lot dude. of awkward moments. It seemed like it just seemed like even Marie didn't know what was going on. Like normal. I. G- I got the best
0: thing you can say about this match to explain it to a wrestling fan, okay? You'll know exactly what I'm saying. The rest of the show was just wrestling, right? This would have been the one match where like the non-wrestling fan or your dad or something comes in the room and sees it and they're like, what the fuck are you watching? And you're like, I know, I'm a fucking idiot.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, even the end where Alexa Bliss went to the top to go for her twisted Bliss move... And Marie Eva Marie rolls away, so like she misses the splash. So Marie Eva Marie makes the cover. Bliss kicks out at two and then just DDT her and got like an awkward three count. It was terrible. I think it's just like everything about this was I terrible. I
0: think there's a lot of stuff that gets shown in her matches where you can just tell that Eva Marie really doesn't have any right being in a wrestling ring on the main roster. no I agree so yeah it's a shame let's move the fuck on away from that because what (laughs) we got next was really good and I thought this match had potential to be good and it it definitely showed that potential and I'm talking about Damian Priest defeating Sheamus for the WWE national championship as Tiffany Haddish would call it but meanwhile it's the WWE United States championship in 13 minutes and 50 seconds in exactly the type of match I expected these two to have
1: yeah, this was good. It was hard hitting. Uh, a lot of, a lot of different spots that were like, you know, cringe in a in a good way. If you yes. know what I mean, hey, you know, you know, uh, like the one backbreaker he oh. hit. Um, Priest stepped up a, a bit in this for me. You know, this was going to be another test because he's he's one of those guys that's on the fringe. Like he has potential for his size. He can do some really cool shit. His character's okay. You know, he's to kind of start to you know keep developing that a little a little better. But um, all all things considered. And that's why he was in this match with Sheamus Because Sheamus is long story WWE vet And they did really well together They had good chemistry And again, super hard hitting I I really liked most of this match Except for a couple blemishes here and there But I'll still give it the overall thumbs up And
0: dude, I gotta say this too I was kind of impressed by this uh, Watching a little bit of Monday Night Raw But it looks like they are gonna pair up Damian Priest and Lashley in a feud Which I was a little surprised about But I'm like, you know what? that might be good right now and i'm not saying that priest is gonna yeah, beat might him. be good it's different it's, it, i just think it's good to get priest working with you know a dude like sheamus where he's gonna have that type of match then bobby lashley it's just working with these guys and him getting reps are gonna win you know kind of leads to what you were saying like this is how guys get better so i i don't think that's a bad thing yeah. for him at all so i really like that match Uh, next up was another pretty fun match the wwe tag team or smackdown tag team championship where the usos defended and defeated against Rey mysterio and dominic in 10 minutes and 50 seconds fun back and forth action wasn't too short wasn't too long uh kind of really good place for it on the card at this point in the show i was really happy
1: oh this was great Uh, again it's another one we previewed pretty well we we knew what to expect in this one and, and they came through Great action, really fluid, really good spots. Um, the end I didn't exactly see coming, but I'll take it. We did kind of say that the Usos were going to go over either way. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was really entertaining. And as I've been saying, just going to the match length, just right over 11 minutes. I think that was the right amount of time, uh, especially due to the fact, again, as we were mentioning in the preview of this, where they these dudes have been feuding pretty much all summer, basically. So they didn't need to go like a half hour or something crazy. I think
0: it was it was good where it was on the and card. And dude, card. I wanted to get your opinion on this uh, because I think it's pretty unique, especially some of the stuff we've been talking about NXT in the show today and their developmental system. Okay, so we saw Dominic Mysterio debut a little over a year ago on the main roster, right? And he had very little experience outside of this, uh, and it showed. He had potential, but it, it you know he was green. It showed now here we are now and dude i'll be honest with you i know it's still early it's not like he's been around for years but dude he's really improved and i think this dude has a real shot at being something really good for years to come uh, because we've seen him improve i think over leaps and bounds in the last year
1: i agree i mean in ring no issue it's the big thing that we've been talking about all night with wwe and vince mcmahon and that's navigating the creative side of it, you know, as far as promos, especially as he goes away from his father and Ray eventually retires and things like that on where he's going to be at character wise. But I'm completely with you. I mean, specifically speaking of in ring, he he's fine, you know. He's only going to get yep. better,
0: and he could already do a lot. Uh, that
1: I, I think more exactly. I mean, dude, he's done shit that I have never seen before. Just I, like I Ray. was going to
0: say, I, I expect him to get better, but he's exceeded what I've expected from him already. So I, agree. I, I Give him a lot of credit there, and that's kudos to Ray too. Because I don't care what anybody says, I believe Ray has a ma- massive hand in making sure this kid is, oh, is of course, and ready to go. Uh, next up on this show. It was time for Bianca Belair to defend her title against Sasha Banks in a rematch from WrestleMania. That, however, is not what happened. Now, this is really strange because we saw at a uh, a contract signing on SmackDown this week where uh, Bianca Belair was attacked by Sasha Banks. Uh, you know, there had been some rumors going on because the weekend before, both of them basically no showed a house show. And it said that they were off the, the house show for unforeseen circumstances. And we've been at shows before the J where people get canceled and they never say that. They always say it's a travel issue. Um, so there's been some weirdness going on. And then there was also some rumors on Friday and Saturday that Sasha Banks was not gonna be there. Um, a lot of this was weird behind the scenes stuff and it didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me anyway. So I just assumed it was rumor, but that's not the case. Sasha Banks would not show up at SummerSlam and she would not wrestle Bianca Belair. Now, before we get into what happened, I wanted to bring this up because uh, it it was a story that popped up on SportsKedia.com and this is what was going on. So, according to Mike Johnson of PW Insider, Sasha Sasha Banks never made it to Las Vegas for SummerSlam weekend, though she had been advertised for the show. She also missed out on several live events, as I mentioned, to unforeseen circumstances. (laughs) her absence is not injury related but it's still not clear what the actual reason uh might be Uh, pwi insider has been told by wwe sources that the bank's situation is not an injury issue um and on top of this this is where i start to have a problem um i understand that things happen and everything but this is what i directly have an issue with According to Dave Meltzer, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, WWE knew eight days in advance that Sasha Banks wasn't gonna be uh, competing at SummerSlam. Um, so it happened. Uh, what eventually happened happened because Sasha Banks wasn't gonna be ready and they felt they needed something to quell the audience. They've known for eight days that Sasha Banks wasn't going to be there. That's shitty and that's false advertising, something that wrestling companies usually don't do because the card's always subject to change. But when they know that somebody is gonna be out for eight days prior to an event, why are you still running angles the night before the show like Sasha's gonna be there? I have a serious issue with that. That's bullshit. And what we said earlier in the show about AEW, bringing somebody like uh, a punk in and delivering that is huge goodwill for the fans. This is the complete opposite of that. And they would try and fix that and manage to fuck it up. So before we get to that results, the Jay. What do you think about this? They knew for eight fucking days that she wasn't going to be there. Yeah, I mean, I
1: could see their excuse being because that they wanted the surprise to be even that, you know, to work mm-hmm. and and that they didn't announce that because of the swerve. So, but it's still bullshit. Like you said, as far as the, you know, we've been talking about the business side of things and false advertising for what was one of the marquee matches Of the second biggest pay-per-view of the year For WWE to do this kind of shit
0: Yeah, it's a little ridiculous So here is essentially what happened So Bianca would come out And then we found out that we were getting Bianca Belair versus (sighs) Carmella uh, Which is a match we've seen numerous times on TV The fans were not happy about this at all And right before they locked up Becky Lynch's music hit The crowd was losing their mind. It was another great moment trying to show a little bit of that goodwill to WWE fans, and they lost it immediately as Becky Lynch defeated Bianca Belair by pinfall in 26 seconds. This is some of the stupidest booking I've seen in a long time. They've done a pretty good job building up Bianca Belair as a star since WrestleMania, and they completely shoot it in the face like this, and it just shows you, like I was saying, how tone-deaf the WWE is where they create this gracious amount of goodwill with their fans and they immediately shoot it right in the face.
1: Exactly. There's a lot of problems I can have with this, but let me just go to my biggest issue. You know me and liking fresh matchups. It just kind of ruined that because of course they're going to end up feuding over the belt now, I'm sure, and they'll they'll have their big match down the road here. Um, I'm assuming on a pay-per-view slot. However, when you're, you're doing this, you, you have to do something to cover up for whatever the situation is with Sasha Banks. I'm not even going to speculate on that. Like you mentioned, we, we read what's out there. Uh, so you have to do something. Have Carmella come down. Just Bella, Bella goes through her in 20 seconds. I wouldn't even care about that. Then have Becky come down and face off with her. But to have an impromptu match like that and have her go over legit in 26 seconds, which I'm sure, again, I'm speculating and, and just making assumptions, but I'm assuming... On SmackDown, they'll just explain that Bianca Belair was so yes. shocked to see Becky Lynch, you know, that she just got caught really fast. And, and that's the storyline excuse for her losing the title like that. But uh, again, it doesn't disregard how stupid that was. And in my opinion, it ruined the whole segment and pretty much ruined Becky Lynch's comeback in a lot of And way,
0: dude, so. you know this as well as I do, that to get a person over as a babyface, you have to do things in a certain way. And if you use the excuse like she was shocked and wasn't ready for her, that's something that as a baby face makes bianca belair look like a geek it's stupid it's not how you build somebody up properly even a 10 minute match like honestly the way i probably would have did it was i would have probably had like a five minute match with carmella then I have Becky come down. Then Bianca accepts the challenge, and in like 12 minutes, I have Becky win. And it was like, well, she already had another match that she wasn't prepared for, so it's two matches. It just kind of looks like the situation was loaded against her as a babyface. And I don't know necessarily if this is how you want to build up Becky because you're also bringing her back as a babyface. So it, it it doesn't get her over. It makes her look like shit. It makes Belair's whole thing look like a fluke so far. And then Bianca Belair's beaten. Sasha Banks so it makes Sasha look like a goof by association too it's really stupid and amazing to me that the people that run the biggest wrestling company in the world don't even understand primary booking and how it works it's really mind-blowing sometimes how stupid this company could be
1: as the term we use on the what's real podcast plan D this is another classic WWE (laughs) plan D situation where for those that don't know we've talked about it on prior podcasts it's basically the WWE doing the last thing that any of us long term fans would even think
0: they would do storyline wise and it's not good you know what I mean it's not like oh man they went a total different way yeah they do the stupidest shit imaginable and it doesn't stop here so next up on the card, we had a singles match that I don't think too many people, myself included, were really looking forward to. And we saw Drew McIntyre defeat Jinder Mahal by pinfall at four minutes and 40 seconds. And yeah, who cares? Whatever. And even I just got to shout this out
1: because we were talking about it and I, I was kind of more interested than, than you because I had caught, caught a couple of things. Uh, regarding this guy leading into the Olympics. But right before this, they had the two Olympic gold medalists uh, oh, from yeah. Representing the USA in wrestling, Tamra stock, and uh, Gable Stevenson, Stevenson that we've already talked about. And my God, was that the most awkward thing of all time. They just had them come down the long-ass stadium rampway as people like clapped. They didn't do an interview or anything. It was the most awkward. Uh, you use the word. I'll keep using it. Cringy thing that they could have done. And I just didn't get it. Well, it's
0: I just looked at it as like, wow, we really want this Gable Stevenson dude. So we gotta kiss his ass and give him a segment on SummerSlam that makes no fucking sense. Which by the way, yeah, just have him walk to the was a recurring theme of the evening. Earlier, as I mentioned, Tiffany Haddish called the United States Championship the National Championship. Uh, mario lopez was another backstage interviewer and that
1: uh i texted yeah, you that, that.
0: we would later on see a show uh, a bit of moist tv where xavier woods would come out looking and dressing like razor ramon like just a bunch of shit we didn't need on this show for any reason at all like we weren't really trying to deal with this at all but here we are um and to, to
1: plow through the match at hand here, hey, you know, that you had talked about McIntyre and Mahal will get back on track. I'll plow through the review like Drew McIntyre plowed, plowed through Jinder Mahal in four and a half minutes. It's just another WWE thing that you just mentioned. Why is this shit even got to be on here? Give, give a different, bigger match more time. I mean, it's four and a half minutes. Why do you even need yeah, to do
0: it? It's just, you know, just to get more guys on the show.
1: Get guys on the card Next up
0: was the triple threat For the WWE Raw Women's Championship And in 13 minutes and 4 seconds We saw Charlotte Flair defeat Nikki A.S.H. And Rhea Ripley by submission To win the Raw Women's Championship This kind of felt like another match Just to get the belt on Charlotte Uh, Charlotte did great I have no problem with her in the ring She does really well Um, But you know Are they actually going to give Charlotte a run this time Or are they going to take it away from her in a week Like they always seem to do every time she wins it
1: yeah, yeah, this was a good match, fun and entertaining, good time, uh, good storytelling, some really good moves. Uh, I, again, this is at one point where we were texting with each other while, while we were watching the show live, and Charlotte did her like spinning moonsault from the oh. top rope to the floor and absolutely destroyed Nikki. Uh, Nikki got very lucky there, and all due respect for uh, for her toughness there. That was a great spot. But yeah, I just didn't really get this. In the preview, we figured Nikki would go over just storyline-wise, why why hot shot the belt back and forth but for whatever reason that's what they did maybe maybe just to keep giving Charlotte Flair multiple title wins so that she could proclaim herself as the 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 woman in history with the most titles like her dad kind of part of her gimmick because that's what she's doing now she's saying like she's the cut above because she has the most title wins so I don't know if that has to do with it but that kind of surprised me But overall, decent match. Yeah,
0: you would think something like this would have got a little bit more time, but, you know, we have to save time for stupid fucking segments that don't even need to be on the show. Uh, Next up was one of the matches I was really looking forward to. I mentioned it last week on the show. We saw Edge defeat Seth Rollins by submission at 21 minutes and 15 seconds. Uh, Everything in this match was awesome, from Edge coming out to the Brood entrance. Uh, just these two guys work together very very well and this was one of the matches too that just felt like they were kicking everything into high gear like the the earlier matches there was good stuff but this is the first one that i felt like they were working on another level
1: yeah this is great a lot of lot of another another one with a lot of good spots um it was built up really well i mean these two are old pros of course and again we said that in our preview how parallel their styles are, how parallel their careers overall kind of have been through everything. Uh, Rollins kind of being the next generation of, of where Edge was in that. So we were really looking forward to it with all that coming together. And sometimes the chemistry can be off. You know that all too well, and that's always unfortunate. That was not the case in this match. The chemistry was there, and I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I'll go to it again. Hey, y'all, the timing was perfect. Uh, just uh, a bit over 20 minutes. I thought that's what they needed to do. Half hour might have been a little dragging, a little too long, so the time was perfect, and this was a really great match, man. Yeah, same
0: here. No complaints whatsoever. Uh, Next up was the singles match for the WWE Championship. We saw Bobby Lashley defeat Goldberg via referee stoppage. at 7 minutes and 10 seconds. I hated this match. It pissed me off. Um, There was a point in the match, too, where uh, Lashley was uh, just waffling uh, Goldberg with a chair trying to fuck up his leg we saw goldberg's son jump on his back in the match and dude i literally said to myself no joke during this lashley should seriously pop this kid's head off and kick it in the crowd like murder this goof (laughs) what is happening here lashley has been built to look kind of like what goldberg used to be years and years and years ago and they do something like this and it's it's again tone-deaf booking they're gonna continue this fucking feud and no one wants to see this again no one i don't know anybody that's like well that's a really good feud i love how they're building. no it makes lashley look like shit goldberg looks like a goof i don't understand why they won't have goldberg lose clean unless he's wrestling in saudi arabia and has a fucking awful piece of shit match but this sucked it shouldn't have been on the fucking show from to begin with and dude i'm not even the biggest bobby lashley fan but i actually felt bad for him on sunday he deserves better than this
1: yeah there was a a chance they could have did something with him as we mentioned we, we just wanted him to destroy goldberg and just become the proverbial wrecking ball heel that we're hoping that they could book him as and that didn't happen at all it was exactly I have to say it again, what we previewed, we, we pretty much called it. I I think I specifically said this is going to be between five and 10 minutes. It was about seven and a half. And uh, yeah, it was terrible. Like my, I watched it with my son. He's like asking me what happened. I I know wrestling. Well, trust me, I'm not thinking Goldberg was really hurt, but it was so bad. There was part of me thinking that he was really hurt. Like why would they end it like this? But then once Gage got in and and got put in the hurt lock, I was like, okay, they're going to continue this. And it, it gets, uh, goldberg getting out of there without being pinned or or whatever so uh it's just yeah dude one terrible.
0: of a sentences that i don't think i've ever said the the yeah. wwe championship match that was seven minutes and 10 seconds was way too long <laughs> like yeah. Yeah, it's jesus it's it's it ridiculous it but as you were talking about the wrecking ball heel Uh, Yeah, this is what happens when it works correctly because in the main event, we had a singles match for the WWE Universal Championship. They of course had to add a stupid stipulation that kind of gives away the finish on SmackDown, where if Reigns lost, he would have to leave the WWE. And of course we saw Roman Reigns defeat John Cena by pinfall at 23 minutes even in what I thought was probably the best match of the night. And of course, after Roman Reigns defeated John Cena, we saw Brock Lesnar make his return as a babyface um now this match was great and i got to say dude babyface brock run looks like it's about to be a shitload of fun i'm super excited to see where they go with this and oddly enough with a lot of the bad shit that i mentioned earlier in the show this is a really good way for them to go off the air i really enjoyed this main event great match great fucking job by cena dude i think roman still doesn't get the credit he deserves for being as good as he is because this dude has been having really great high profile matches now for years
1: yeah he he took over for Cena, did. basically just the workhorse of the wwe and he's doing it extremely well and we can't praise his he'll run enough Uh, Of course, you know, being paired with Heyman just adds to it, but it's, it's great, man. Tribal, tribal chief, all hail the tribal chief. But like you said, I can't put it much different. Hey, it was just a great match that your typical WWE main event stuff, but that's the kind of stuff I like about WWE. You know, you have your identity. It works in their big main events when they're kicking out of finisher after finisher. He's hitting, uh, you know, FUs off the top rope that Roman's kicking out of. I don't know how I lost count. Of the Superman punches that <laughs> Reigns landed, you know, might've been like up to 10 throughout the match, but I, I enjoyed it, man. You, you love that back and forth, not necessarily completely knowing where they're going. So, so that, that they, they sucked me in, which I can always say after being a pro wrestling fan for 30 some years is always good to admit when, when a match sucks you in. And this one was great, great main event. And then the Brock stuff just added to it. Cause I wasn't expecting that you hear his music. He looks crazy as hell. I I call him Viking Brock. A lot of people were ripping on his look. I think it looks fine. It's fucking Brock, man. Looks like a fucking Viking. I saw
0: this dude uh, put a meme up because Brock came out like with his ponytail and some jeans. And it was like, when you're going to kick ass, but 501s are also on sale. (laughs) Like It was just a hilarious image with that (laughs) at the bottom. But, But yeah, man. So that is SummerSlam at 2021. So the J, what's your letter grade for SummerSlam?
1: Yeah, this one was tough because it was all over the place, you know, and, and that's one of the things that we, we say a lot here with WWE pay-per-views. They're just so goddamn long. This one went on till 1230. I, I had fully admitted to you. Hey, I would watching it with my young son. Son, we both fell asleep and I finished the uh, last two matches the next day. <laughs> so thank God it was on a, on a Saturday, weirdly and rarely. Uh, but all things considered, I was still entertained. There was, there was more uh, good than bad, I would say, overall in the grand scheme of it. All that said and done, hey, uh, the Jays going with a B minus.
0: See, you were much nicer uh, than me for this one. So, I I was uh, thinking that. uh, Now, here's where I'm standing with this one. I thought the main event was really good. Um, I thought the WWE Championship match was garbage. Uh, I thought Edge and Rollins was really good. Uh, But then, you know, you get the shitty taste in your mouth with the Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch match. Um, The Charlotte, uh, you know, the triple threat was okay um weird booking as we mentioned a lot of nonsense on this show with like mcintyre and mahal and the the dog fart that was alexa bliss and eva marie so for this one even with the good stuff i'm gonna give this one a c minus almost bordering on a d because that that moment with the women's title and Becky Lynch they fucked it up so bad it's almost a miracle the show wasn't completely ruined from that point forward so you know just and this is SummerSlam it's one of the biggest shows they do every year and unfortunately I was a lot disappointed in a lot of the stuff that I saw even though there was some really good matches and the stuff that you thought did deliver Uh, actually did so but yeah it's a it's a poor job by the company when i thought that the guys worked really hard so that's why i'm gonna go with a c minus on that one so hope you guys enjoyed this absolutely epic wrestling coverage including SummerSlam. uh but we are gonna take a quick commercial break and whenever we come back we're gonna be talking some hbo's hard knocks episode three so stay tuned guys we'll be back right after this on the what's real podcast Join us next week for episode 84 of the What's Real podcast.
1: It's a huge preview of the next big AEW pay-per-view all out. Then it's followed by the beginning of the huge What's Real NFL coverage as we start to preview
0: NFL's 2021 season. And it doesn't stop there with the NFL because we're going to take a look at the final episode of HBO's Hard Knocks. And on Thursday Night Prime, we're going to take a look at the classic from 1989 with Stallone and Kurt Russell. We're talking Tango and Cash.
1: Hey, hey everybody. This is Herman Jane, the Room Podcast. And I'm here to talk about Goose or Goose for the 84th episode of our great podcast, where the guys talk about things like tortoises killing chicks, 2021 being the year of the brawl. And what's an animal, the warmer guys? I don't even know what that is, but stay with us with Goofs to goose.
0: All that and more next week on episode 84 of the What's Real podcast. And it is time for episode three of HBO's Hard Knocks, all about the Dallas Cowboys. Um, We talked earlier in the show a little bit about Dak Prescott possibly not playing this year or missing a lot of the season or not being the same because of some injuries. So we're going to get into that as well. But, dude, I would be remiss if I didn't start this out this way. Um, No joke, the beginning of this episode is the best thing I've ever seen them do on HBO's Hard Knocks. And I'm talking about the the drone shot. First and foremost, I knew that they had a campus, okay? Like I've heard people refer to it as the campus a bunch of times, right? So if you're not an idiot, you probably know what a campus is to some degree. But this is the first time I've seen it in living color type of a deal, I cannot, this place is unbelievable. You want to talk about like a Mecca of football. Holy shit, dude.
1: Insane. Yeah. And it just, this episode, uh, there's a lot of Jerry Jones in it. I'm not a ridiculous amount it's spread out well, but Jerry Jones is is somewhat prominent in this particular episode. And I always thought he was the biggest goof. And of course, like we always disclaimer, man, we're Steeler fans and it's all in fun. I don't know the dude, whatever. He, he's a goofy billionaire Texan dude. He fits the stereotypes exactly. But like with anything with hard knocks and, and getting to know him a little more, there was parts of him I was like, I don't mind Jerry Jones in, in this fashion. And that, that goes in with the creation of this campus, man. It's just ridiculous. And
0: when we say a campus, this is what I'm talking about on this campus. So this is like where the Dallas Cowboys have their training camp every year. Um, there's a 12,000 seat arena or stadium where they play like exhibition games and also high, high
1: school games in, in well, Dallas are played there, well, or Texas.
0: That's what I was going to say. Like here we play high like the high school championship games are played at Heinz Field. Uh, not in Dallas, no amateurs get on their fucking stadium field whatsoever. This is where you play. Um, they also have a luxury hotel on the site. They have offices on the site. They have an outdoor field on the site. Um, and dude, check this out. I was reading this uh, and I, I wasn't even going to use this, but it was so good that I thought it was perfect. This is from NFL.com. And they're breaking down the episode, and it says, let's start with the drone shot. This this is what got me really getting into this. NFL Films and HBO have pretty much rewritten the book on what sports television can be over the 20 years of Hard Knocks. So consider this audacious three-minute flyover shot an all-time flex, the piece de resistance for the whole team. As Peter Schrager, Schrager aptly put it, This is the Goodfellas Copacabana shot for sports TV nerds, and it will go down as one of the most indelible moments in the show's rich history. Bravo. Now, the background. The Hard Knocks production team had a three-hour window to pull off the drone shot before a boxing match was scheduled at the facility, and they stuck the landing on their 15th and final try. I want to know the name of the drone operator because a person with hand to eye coordination like that could be the functional backup quarterback for the Cowboys that they're so desperately searching for this season, Uh, which kind of leads me into this. Um, As you said, the J, more of this episode seemed to be about Jerry Jones. Uh, Some of the goings on, you know, in the office and things like that, a little bit less of actual training camp. And of course, they cover their entire preseason game. Um, Now, this is what was a giant red flag, red siren. I don't know if you see it this way, the Jay. So give me your opinion. So what we talked about early in the show with Adam Schefter bringing up the point that Dak is hurt and there's something going on more than meets the eye. They one of the announcers during the preseason game even said, "Forget about what people are tweeting. Dak is all right." Okay, but isn't it funny how we did not see anything of Dak in this episode except for him in the film room? Nothing. Yeah.
1: Yep, very little. Just a flash on the the practice field at one point, and then and then yeah, just in the film room he was. Talking shit. That was pretty funny. Dex, Dex is another weird guy. Like he was talking he about how he's. Hey, they they brought up the mascot, pumping everybody up, the Dallas Cowboys mascot. He's like, man, I'm scared of mascots, and he like goes on this whole diatribe about how people in costumes freak them out. Like even to the point when he was like, not just a kid, but like a teenager. <laughs> it Dude, was it was I, just
0: pretty funny. I don't no disparaging Dak here. He's just way different personally than the perception that I had. Yeah, that's that's what I
1: think this. I'm pointing out exactly. So, so yeah, they they kind of got away from from Dak a bit. They really fe- focused this episode a bunch on Isaac Alarcon that is one of the international pathways program players from Mexico. And that was pretty cool. You know, he's a cool guy, has a really nice family that they, they showed some focus on. And uh, that, that went into correlation with Joe Philbin, who is the offensive line coach for the Dow Boys and used to be a head coach in the NFL uh, last stint with the, the struggling Miami Dolphins, especially at that time, because uh, he was even on hard knocks with the Dolphins as the head coach. Yeah, before he was fired, not not too long after that, that episode. So yeah, they followed uh, the offensive lineman Isaac Alarcón a bunch. And, um, you know, they showed his play was was getting better. You know, I guess he didn't have a great second preseason game. They mentioned Philbin even mentioned he played pretty well against the Steelers that they noticed. So they were looking for him to uh, start playing even better and maybe make the team. And I guess he didn't have too great of a game in the second game against the Cardinals, but it seemed like he played a pretty good game here in the third preseason game that was featured against the Houston Texans. So so that was a big part of it. And then they also followed uh, Stefan Diggs of uh, the Buffalo Bills Parish, um, one of the best receivers, if not the best receiver overall right now in the league, his brother Trayvon Diggs. And uh, he had a really cute little son, which as a father of a young son was was touching. And, and all that was, was cool too. That's one of the aspects, you know, both of these personal stories on these two particular players that I like about hard knocks.
0: And dude, that kind of leads me into this. This was one of my favorite parts of this episode uh, was there was a segment of the show, which it, it kind of bleeds into a few different things. They're, they're talking about one of the team's male guys and how he's a yeah, fourth generation cool. guy, but it bleeds into uh cd lamb and micah parsons and this is basically really great stuff here because it's how teammates make each other better they lined up against each other in a practice and cd lamb got the best of them and then they show each other on the sidelines and he's like why were you looking me in the eyes and he's like well i gotta see what you're doing he's like don't look me in the eyes he's like what's the big deal he's like because when i see a defender looking me in my eyes i know they're scared of what i'm gonna do so they're talking about the coverages and how like, I love this nerdy inside shit when it comes to the NFL. So exactly. it's really good insight on how the players kind of craft their, their game. And I, I love that about, this is my favorite thing about hard knocks without a doubt. It doesn't matter which team they show.
1: And that's perfect timing. Speaking of CD lamb, where we had even mentioned on the show, you had brought it up. Hey, that it was weird we hadn't seen Amari Cooper. Well, he makes his yep. first appearance coming back from injury, and there was a pretty cool little part where he was showing uh, C.D. Lamb some some tricks, you know, coming off the line with like some two steps and just some lightning quick receiver moves. That was pretty cool, and I like that part because it's you know it's really cool seeing the the veterans take the the younger bucks under their wing and, and show them some stuff as teammates.
0: And, dude, this kind of solidified something that I said last week that to me is definitely coming true. How I kind of said we haven't seen Amari Cooper a lot yet. Don't be surprised if CeeDee Lamb is the number one receiver in Dallas this year moving forward. And even what they showed on this episode, because, like, Amari's talking about, like, oh, my footing, my foot. Like, he's not where he wants to be uh, after dealing with an injury from the offseason that he had to take care of. Um, it's just going to show to me that I think CeeDee Lamb's definitely going to start the season in that spot. But, dude, man, I feel bad for these guys in a way because if there is a problem with Dak and he cannot go, they have nothing at quarterback. And I mean nothing. No one even remotely resembling uh, somebody that could even fill in for a few games as an NFL quarterback without Dak this team season is a complete bust and I mean there is nothing that is going to be a positive for this season if Dak doesn't play and it's kind of showed that too because Ben DiNucci played in their third preseason game through three picks against not even first string type players there's a massive problem here in Dallas and I think it's starting to glare through even on hard knocks when they're trying to Be sly about what they're letting you know and what you see. If you know how to read between the lines, it certainly doesn't look like everything is okay in Dallas as far as the offense goes.
1: Uh, Yeah, I was going to mention that too. I didn't catch any... But, you know, anything about the preseason game against the Texans and Cowboys before this episode as well. So I had no clue what happened. And I was actually like, as, as we've been over, Danucci has ties to Pittsburgh. He's a hometown Pittsburgh guy, went to high school in Pine Richland. It's a suburb of the city area and, uh, of course, went to the University of Pittsburgh. So you're kind of pulling for him in a way. And uh, he threw three picks, like you said, and just did not look good. So, uh, but it is preseason, and it happens. So we'll have to see. But to your point, hey, you know, it just does not look good in Dallas if that can't go at all for that offense. And that's again. Coinciding with, as we mentioned, a defense that might be seemingly a little bit better than last year, but how can't they be? Because we mentioned they were like the worst defense overall, statistically, in all kinds of different factors in years. So you know, with without Dak, this this could be a disaster. Uh, some some other highlights from from the episode I wanted to mention was because this was just some got some laughs out of me. Was of course a, a guest appearance from the Jerry Copter. They were in um, Jerry Jones' helicopter above the stadium. And I, I thought of you for this one, hey, yeah, because at one point the, the pilots talking to them, they're on like the headset within the helicopter and they forgot they're like one personnel guy that was supposed to come on the helicopter ride with them. And yep. Jerry Jones is like, man, this is the terrible start to the day. We need to go back and pick up our guy we left. And I'm just thinking, hey, Ed, I'm like, geez, you know, me and you are bitching all the time about stupid things in life. I'm like, that's billionaire problems is he's bitching about how his day starting off terrible because his helicopter forgot to include somebody that they're initially supposed to take with them.
0: Man, love, life is tough for Jerry <laughs> yeah. Jones, let me tell you.
1: Like, we got to take the copter back to pick him up.
0: She- I mean, it's, it is interesting. Like, I do like seeing this stuff here. Okay, my problem with Jerry Jones is you see this kind of shit like fifth game of the season where he's like lurking around on the sidelines during a game and shit. And it's like, you're the owner, step the fuck off. Why do you hire these people in the first place? But as far as hard knocks goes, it's super entertaining and it's good TV. So I don't have a problem with any of it here.
1: Exactly. No, I, again, he's he's a personality man. And, and just seeing a little bit more of him had me laughing. As you can imagine, hey, Ed, I'm sure you, you were possibly watching this and thinking, I know that Jay's popping at this, the slow motion esque entrance of Jerry Jones walking into Dallas Stadium to make like a remixed version of uh, hip hop and Metallica.
0: Well, dude, wherever I
1: may roam, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Only hard
0: knocks. So that starts playing. Right. And I'm like, oh, fuck, they're playing some Metallica. And then it kicks in and I'm like, which fucking rapper used the guitar part from the beginning of that as (laughs) a sample? Like, I had no idea this was a thing. Uh, But dude, I I think you're going to know where I'm leading with this. We're three episodes in. You know who my leading, and and maybe we could do this next week for fun when it's the final one to give you our, uh, you know who we think it is. But uh, who do you think my is my MVP so far of Hard Knocks? MVP
1: of Hard Knocks for hate you um, all. Might have to go with from from us
0: us talking before Zeke. Dude, I love this dude. He's such like, a. <laughs> there there's a part where they're in a meeting and they're passing like. Uh, basically, they know they're going to be there all day. So they make the rookies bring a bunch of snacks and kind of shit like that. So, like, they're bringing all this stuff in. And you just see Zeke sitting there with like one of them old containers where you would like take candy out of at the. Yeah, the, the can- he he's, like, it. <laughs> he's like rolling this sugar sour thing up and put, and he's like chewing it. And I just, he's so weird that I fucking, lo- like, I would be hanging out with him all the time because I'm like, this, like, people would be like, man, he's fucking weird as shit. And I'm like, yeah, but he's so weird that it's funny. Like, I just like being around him because he's a goof. It's fun. Like, he is the one dude to me on this team. And I didn't know this previously because you'd only really seen him in like, you know, press conference type stuff and shit when they're getting asked a million questions after a game. He has way more personality than I ever expected. And I see why they like him on this team. It, this team would be. I guarantee it'd be a lot less fun to play in Dallas if Zeke wasn't there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like you mentioned before, he's a good teammate and uh, he gets the guys going. And I think that's why he and he and Dak get along so well, because they're both weird Fox. So I even, cool. I even called my wife into the room when they were playing spades. Cause she's a huge that was hilarious. Give a shout out to Katie. She's really good at spades, but yeah, that was, that was a good part too. And the, the pre mentioned, uh, multi-generational Dallas Cowboy employee that you were very cool
0: and he ended up winning and talking shit which was great so that was a fun part too and dude I really thought this was cool um and I've seen this from other players but more so from Zeke than any of them uh there was a major part of this episode with him just kind of working with one of their their running backs that's you know trying to make the team and like he's constantly giving the dude advice and stuff like I mean, yeah. dude, that, that's a pretty confident professional. Like, the Zeke's making the team. He's the starting running back. He's not worried about it. But, like, a dude that is going out of his way to watch a dude that's not really significant on his team and giving him valuable feedback, that's a fucking great teammate, dude. So, even though exactly. he's weird and shit, like, Zeke's the man, period.
1: And that that part was funny as well, where they show a really cringy close-up of that dude trying to put a contact in his eye and it was oh. all leading to him tell a story about how he like fell forward in the one preseason game and his contact popped out and he like can't see shit so they ended up, ended up giving him uh, like modern day rec specs <laughs> yeah. and they even mentioned how he looked like eric dickerson and he had
0: no clue who eric dickerson was and the, the coach is like busting on him for that did you see when he was on the sideline and the coach comes over to him and he's like hey man you look like, just like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And he's like, yeah, minus a fucking foot and eight inches.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's some good moments, but again, that's, that's the appeal of hard knocks, man. There's a lot of good stuff. And as I always continuously say, it just flies by. I mean, the episode, I watched it this morning, actually, when we're recording today, and it just, it just flew a hundred miles an hour. I'm like, damn, it's over already. Just love the show, man. It's it's great. And uh, this one was another entertaining episode.
0: And you think this episode went fast. We got one more next week and that's it for the season. So, you know, the season of Hard Knocks comes and goes very quickly. Uh, And it's always weird to me, too, like when the season gets started, it, it for some for some reason feels like Hard Knocks was like forever ago, but it's really not that long ago um but it just shows you how fast things are in the NFL and if if you need proof of it hard knocks is certainly uh, that because next week most likely this is when all the cuts are going to come down this is when well, we the, got
1: there's the, uh, five hay so there's two more oh there is five three. okay I, for some yeah. reason
0: i thought next week was the the last one but uh, yeah i mean the cuts are going to start coming so like that's when Hard knocks, it gets, gets, it gets really interesting from a football perspective because they make a lot of decisions and they kind of let you sit in on how they make them. Um, so it's it's interesting always, but like the last couple weeks are always really something else.
1: Exactly. Yep. We're, we're going to knock out the last two in the coming weeks, but hard knocks Dallas Cowboys is a thumbs up from the J
0: really enjoying it absolutely man me too and i look forward to the uh the next couple here for sure to end out the season so uh that is it for our hard knocks uh episode three coverage uh we are going to take a quick commercial break and whenever we come back me and the jay are going to take a look at uh and this is odd for me i know a superhero movie uh specifically james gunn's 2021 suicide squad so stay tuned guys we'll be back right after this on the what's real podcast
1: Hey, Yins, guys, this is the J from the What's Real podcast for our official sponsor, Churchill Pictures. Churchill Pictures is a Pittsburgh-based film production company founded by Damiano Fusca and Jared Bajoris. Check out ChurchillPictures.com for all kinds of information about the company and their work. The website contains dozens of videos, including short films, movie previews, comedy sketches, the entire documentary, UCW, The Greatest Show You Never Saw, exclusive independent pro wrestling Matches, links to view or purchase their two feature films, Deference and The Unsung, the entire history of the What's Real podcast, the Film City podcast, and so much more. Check out churchhillpictures.com today and also check out the official Churchill Pictures YouTube channel. Search for Churchill Pictures and please subscribe. Also follow Churchill Pictures on all social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Churchill Pictures, picture the possibilities.
0: and we're back and it's time to take a look at the 2021 suicide saga or suicide saga from james gunn i should say the suicide squad uh super harley quinn bloodsport peacemaker and a collection of nutty cons at bell rev prison join the super secret super shady task force x as they dropped off at the remote enemy infused island of corto maltese um now as i mentioned a lot of times on the show i'm not a big fan of superhero movies but i was interested in this because of james gunn the director um after getting into a little bit of an issue and getting dropped by the folks at marvel uh dc was none too happy to pick him up and bring him into the fold for the suicide squad now i knew some stuff about the suicide squad but other than what i'd seen in the previews i didn't know a whole lot um but yeah i uh i can't say that i was super thrilled with this one the jay i have a ton of problems with it actually um but dude it was really bizarre now maybe you're better at this than me did you you now you've seen the original suicide squad right the movie that came out just a few years ago
1: yeah a few times
0: did you think this was an improvement over that one because i actually never saw that one
1: very different. Uh, as weird as it is to say, because they're both called Suicide Squad, you know, they're about the same comic in, in scenario, uh, but it's it's pretty tough to compare because they are very different. The David Ayers version, which was the 2016 one, took a more serious tone. It obviously, of course, wasn't as, as gory and violent and things like that. There wasn't as much comedy. So they, they were actually a lot different uh, but off the bat, to your inquiry, hey, you know, I, I definitely enjoyed this one better. But the uh, the 2016 one had positives to it that, that you know it because there was a lot of controversy around that with David Ayers, the the director, saying that it was one of those classic movies that the executives got their hands on and just changed the shit out of his to the to the okay. point with the uh, the Zack Snyder cut um, thing coming out. You know, David Ayers, they were throwing around would uh have a suicide squad 2016 directors cut they cut out so much of his shit so it kind of made it messy but but again wrapping things up for your initial question i i personally like this one better than the 2016
0: one okay so the thing is with this one and this is kind of weird to say but i thought there were some solid performances in this one Um, my biggest problems weren't with the performances or the actors or even the casting it had more to do about the writing and the actual screenplay than anything Um, Idris Elba played of course the character of Robert Dubois as Bloodsport I thought he did okay Um, Margot Robbie's great as Harley Quinn I kind of expected that coming in because I think she's good in everything Uh, John Cena did a really good job as Peacemaker Uh, of course the biggest star in this one the best thing about the whole movie to me was King Shark Uh, where the voice was Sylvester Stallone Um, Viola Davis actually did a really good job but what they did with her character made literally no sense it's just the thing and of course I got to bring this up too. Michael Rooker playing savant at the beginning was pretty cool uh, as well Um, this movie to me was trying to be too cutesy with a lot of stuff um i didn't really think that it kept like a coherent coherent beginning middle and end together there was just a lot of shit mashed up together and just kind of thrown together in like music video form and montage form um that stuff kind of got old to me um i thought that they you know took too long to let the king shark character kind of be what that was supposed to be like there's just a lot of missteps in this one to me that i I, and, and it had me wondering like who was this movie made for This was another one for
1: myself uh, as far as starting with negatives to, to coincide with you there. Hey, it was the, the runtime. It's another one of those ones that I thought went a bit too long for, for its, you know, source material here. I think a more cohesive, you know, roughly around two hour runtime would work. You know, I think this was closing in on two and a half or so. Uh, so I think there was parts of it that kind of did drag overall though. I did enjoy it again. I go for those, uh, those two descriptions I always throw out there for movies like this that, that, that hit the Jays um, spots of, of liking it. And that was fun and entertaining. I thought it was fun and entertaining. The beginning had me dying, dude. There's parts of it yeah. when they're all smashed together, these characters. And there's this character called the Weasel for no reason. And these, these are all characters from the comics. Like he picked some obscure yep. ones on purpose to have be a part of this. So there were some goofy characters together and they had some pretty funny chemistry, you know, uh, of course, um, what's his name? I always forget his name. Pete Davidson as Blackguard. Oh, yeah. you know, he played his part. He kind of like turned on him, but at one point he's sitting next to the weasel. He's like, is this a dog? And the other dude's like, what kind of dogs do you think look like that and have fucking hands? And, like, and, and like Harley
0: Quinn's like, is it a werewolf? <laughs> I always wanted to meet a werewolf. Like, you know, just random shit that's up my freaking alley. Freaking out. He's <laughs> yeah. like, God, give me a- no, I don't want to sit next to the goddamn werewolf. Like, and of
1: course, you know, the that- Jays sense of humor when she's debriefing like the main suicide squad team with blood, uh, blood sport in them and seeing as peacemakers like, okay, this is project starfish. That's another name for butthole. Does that have any correlation?
0: <laughs> and she they, he,
1: I just Alva has this great face looking back at him, and Viola Davis just looks at him and just says, "No, like super dry. so I did I, I like the the comedy in it uh for the most part, but a, as you said it it did for me as far as the negatives go, because of the length and some different decisions uh with the script and things like that, there was parts that that dragged and not made too much sense to me
0: here and there. yeah. I just don't, like the thing that also stood out to me too, and I don't really know anybody to ask this, but I'd be very curious uh, to find out, like this did not strike me as a movie that was made for people who liked the Suicide Squad comic at all. You know what I mean? It's like, this was an attempt to try and make more of a mainstream, mainstream style, you know, superhero movie, which is, I understand they're big budgeted, that's what they're trying to do um but it just there's so much here that just didn't work and which is really weird to say because i thought they had really good actors or, you know like really good chemistry the people were funny like cena has really good comedic timing uh, in everything that i've seen him in which he is amazing to me um and not to shit on him i'm trying to give him credit for what he does um but it's just dude like the viola davis thing drove me nuts i'm like so you get a woman that's won an oscar to be in this and this is what you do with her character like it ultimately felt pointless uh and there was a lot of stuff like that in this movie that ultimately felt pointless and it kind of pissed me off too and this is something that's super confusing to me where this movie seemed to have this weird vibe of like introducing characters and making what you like them to kill them or to like repeatedly act like they're dead and it's like i'm like why do you keep doing this it's like if i love these fucking characters this is not what i want to see them do <laughs> like yeah. see a fucking character die three times it's like wait a minute what the fuck are you doing like or, and i know that they use that ex-con thing with all of them too and that just doesn't work for me because it's like they're not anti-heroes but they're not heroes so they're in this weird fucking funky area where it just doesn't work i'm sorry it, like i don't I don't get it this is why i don't like superhero movies man i struggle with this shit
1: man yeah, on top of it the the end villain was very different very out there very james gunn but that kind of yeah that kind of didn't hit right for me it was, it was another one of those stupid ones where people basically in a roundabout way get turned into zombies with like the star you know because he's controlling all of them they all have like yep. the starfish face thing and that to me is just so just oversaturated in in these kind of movies it's just like a roundabout way to just take you know have the character the villain character just take over people and like use them as pawns in it and so that that kind of didn't help the whole big starfish alien thing at the end i hate spoiler alert sorry
0: because it just sounds like something that i'm saying like there's no substance to it but it's just how i feel about it the kaiju thing was just fucking stupid it was stupid It wasn't entertaining. It didn't make the movie better. It's just like a way for them to put way more special effects in it. And that just doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. I'm like, whatever. Maybe other people love this kind of thing. I think it's stupid.
1: Yeah. And I was kind of disappointed with, and I get it. That is the character. That's how he is. I mean, it's a character. So it's my bias towards Cena. but you know, what happens with him at the end and stuff, you know, I won't, yeah, I didn't like the ball as a spoiler, but I wasn't big on that. As far as yep. negatives, but again, going back to it, I was I was still thoroughly entertained. I did think it was a fun movie uh, from us talking because we, you know, it's another one we didn't talk about at all till here on the show. So I was definitely curious because I know about your disdain for superhero movies to see what you, you uh, how you felt about it. So uh, I'm definitely Dude, thinking I liked it a bit more than
0: you, but I, I enjoyed it overall. You know what I did really hate about this one the three minutes earlier the eight minutes later, like that. Yeah, like, that, I thought that too. just to hop around everywhere. It's, and yeah. there's a few times, like I actually liked when they did it to like, like say two characters are doing something and then it's like three minutes earlier. I like that because then it switches to like what the other two characters are doing in that scenario. I thought that was cool. But there's a bunch of times in this movie where it's done to just be jumbling all and jump here and go there and do this now instead of this or stop what they're doing here and then do that. Like, it's just a mess. I, I just can't, you know, I just didn't like it that much. I really didn't. So I got to throw this at you. you wanted to add the J? Yeah, just,
1: just one real, really big, the J dork moment for knowing okay. this. And so I wanted to throw it at you. So the place that they go is called Corto Maltese. And that is within... The DC, like, what would you call it? Like the DC universe, I guess, yeah. because it goes back to if you remember '89's Batman, where yep. Vicky Vale's character was like this hardcore photographer, and Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne even says to her when he first meets her. He's like, oh, he's like you were the one with uh, that went and took all those crazy photos at Corto Maltese. Oh, okay. So See, I talk about a completely over my head. <laughs> yeah, talk about a dork moment, but I noticed that the island was called Cortin Maltese. I'm like, where did I hear that before? And then I remembered that it was like some war torn area that Vicky Vale took photos that impressed Bruce Wayne from
0: one of my favorite well, films. So I had to and it I, thought it, I also thought it was weird too when they talk about Bloodsport and they're like, yeah, he's in prison for trying to, like, he did something to Superman. And I'm like, dude you quit name checking all this shit because you're just fucking up with the stories but like i think it's really stupid to be like presenting a movie a certain way and then to like throw in the reminder like oh remember this guy's like a fucking enemy of superman like that's dumb it's not the right time to do that i don't know why they felt the need to do it and you're never gonna see the blood sport character show up in a superman movie because they can't even fucking make superman movies because it's so nerve-wracking for them um, it's ridiculous, but I digress. Uh, the Jade, we have a tagline for this one.
1: We do. So Suicide Squad 2021, they're dying to save the world.
0: Hey, yo. Okay. So, uh, you, would you like to give your five star rating scale score for this one, the Jade?
1: Out of the five star rating scale here on the What's Roll podcast for film, I'm giving this one Suicide Squad 2021, James Gunn and the the, the boys and girls a three-star rating
0: okay a little bit better than me i'm gonna go with two stars for this one just didn't do much for me i did like the performances but that you know the bottom line is i don't see myself ever sitting through this one again unfortunately so i tried guys you can't say that i refused yeah i was gonna say that i appreciate you trying yeah so you know give it a good old uh college try if you will so it is time Look at that, the J. you see it? You ready? Yep. I'm getting ready. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got it. Get him. Fuck Come on,
1: dudes. motherfuckers. Bring it, Come motherfucker. On. Yeah, boy. Yeah. Let's go, motherfucker. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not Back this week. Fuckers. Take it after the boss. The him Get him. Got him over here. This fucking weird alien shit. Ah. Yeah, baby. Oh, oh we'll talk him. about being pumped. We I'm unscathed this, this week. Hey, y'all. So all Feels we're going to do we're going to kick back we're going to have a few cold ones while you guys take a quick commercial break because we're going to be right back with fucking thursday night prime and we're talking stone cold so hang out everybody we will be back uh we're just going to be chilling here so super easy this week uh we'll be back right after this on the what's real podcast This is Ed from the What's Real podcast for Height Apparel, your one-stop shop for fashion retail. For one-of-a-kind shopping experience, stop by Height Apparel. Founded by Eric Walker, our business brand is based around people who are of average height, 5'10 and under. We will have the season's greatest fashion picks. Whether you're on the lookout for men's clothing or accessories, stop by and browse our latest collection. That's Height Apparel, H-Y-G-H-T apparel.com. Again, that's Height Apparel. It's time for Thursday Night Pride. It's that time once again for the most action packed segment in weekly podcasting thursday night prime and boy we got a good one for you this week we're gonna go on all the way back to 1991 we're gonna check out a movie directed by craig r baxley a name you probably don't remember but he made stuff such as i come in peace and action jackson and this time we're talking about the brian bosworth vehicle stone cold so bosworth plays a cop named joe huff He's a tough loner cop with a flair for infiltrating dangerous biker gangs. The FBI blackmailed Joe into an undercover operation that entails infiltrating the Brotherhood, a powerful Mississippi biker gang linked in the murder of government officials as well as dealing drugs with the mafia. Uh, of course, Brian Bosworth plays the Joe Huff slash John Stone character. We see Lance Henriksen show up in this one as Chains, William Forsythe playing the wonderful psycho role that he plays so well as Ice uh, and plenty of other biker stuff all together but there's one thing I had to bring up to you almost immediately the J. So there's a scene where uh, pretty early on where Bosworth goes to like this biker rally okay because he has to try and infiltrate him and he's starting to meet a lot of these guys for the first time and they throw him in a pen with a guy who we've seen periodically through the beginning of the movie having like fights or it kind of looks like wrestling matches, but there's no ring. There's just, yeah, and he, and the of dude looks like them. he
1: looks like Kenny Omega. That so one, you don't guy.
0: know, you do not know who this is. Nope. So I'd seen Stone Cold a bunch of times. It's been a really long time since I've seen him uh since i've seen it but i was watching this and it hit me right away who this guy is he is a wrestler and you do know him and he's one of from one of the most infamous things in wrestling history do you remember a match that bret hart is famous for having that just so happened to have a little story attached to it and a little documentary went up on the wwe network shortly you know before it ceased to exist in america that was that dude that was Tom McGee.
1: Tom McGee. 100%. Wow. Tom McGee, boy. Tom motherfucking McGee. That's hilarious cuz he's so goofy like his movements in this. But dude, oh, I don't man. know if you
0: noticed this. Okay, so this is in 91. This isn't too far removed from when Bosworth's football career had ended. And Bosworth was known for taking the steroids, but Bosworth is a pretty big guy, okay? But dude, when he's in there with fucking McGee, he ain't looking so big. And it's pretty, because no. McGee was a jacked up dude too. Remember yeah. that? Oh, I, hell yeah. I almost shit a brick. I even had to look it up to confirm it. Because I'm like, I swear to God, that's fucking Tom McGee. Looked it up. It's Tom McGee. How amazing is that?
1: That is great, dude. Because like you said, this is, you know, to throw it out there early. And that's one of the reasons we picked it. This is one of those ones for our group of friends. It's like a personal classic of ours. Like when this first started coming around. Shout out to our buddy Squid, because I remember he was the first one. Like, dude, you're gonna see the the Bosworth action movie. It's and I great. We're watching it down at Squid's house like we always did in our old hangout. And like this movie just from the beginning gets you, dude. Talk about classic nineties freaking action movie, perfect for the TNP segment, and Thursday Night Prime. But the uh the beginning scene is great. It's this uh, you know, convenience store robbery that Bosworth just happens to stumble on as he's on his suspension and just destroys the dudes, of course. And there's the the heavy metal music and all the cliched things with his captain, like clean up in all three. And it just dude, starts from there. And there's just so many great moments in this movie.
0: And I remember this well, but like, dude, you know this scene is a direct ripoff from another action movie. See if you can guess what it it is. It. Ha- is. I'll, I'll give you a clue. It has uh one of the biggest action stars of all time
1: oh uh cobra with stallone you
0: got it you 100% the the the, the hostage scene in cobra at the beginning and dude i'm watching now i'd seen this movie numerous times like i told you if you remember through the years here of us doing uh thursday night prime we talked about a movie a while ago uh, it's from 1993 It has Charlie Sheen in it And it's called Beyond the Law And Beyond the Law is basically a ripoff of Stone Cold uh, Which is pretty crazy It's severely different But it's the same idea Like a cop or somebody is infiltrating a biker gang And I think William Forsyth is in both of them Playing basically the same fucking character yeah. so, and, But I will say this, dude Now, this movie It's weird as shit Because it goes uh, like it parts like they're doing cost saving measures to keep the budget down. And then there's other scenes where I'm like, no, they're trying to bring the budget up like a motherfucker. Dude, the end Um, is ridiculous. The end is ridiculous how they go, they go balls out on this shit. Helicopters and shit. Yeah. But okay, the thing about this movie is the plot is super thin. Okay. There's not a whole lot to it. But what you get though. is like bosworth's pretty good at playing the fucking action hero type dude okay uh forsyth is fucking like a force in this thing and these so enemies. is lance henrickson yeah. when yep. they're both on the screen it's like dude these dudes are the biggest piece of shit scumbags that have ever walked the earth uh they involve the mafia storyline into it kind of haphazardly and lazy but it still works really well for what they're trying to do yeah and they take them the head yes it's it's like dude There, the thing is man they like like <laughs> i love the scene at the beginning too where like they introduce foresight's character where dudes are literally putting beer can look full beers on their shoulders and heads and dudes are shooting at them like they're pretty they're trying to get across to you pretty early on that these dudes aren't just dangerous they're fucking nuts so And it's really bizarre because you'd think somebody like Bosworth really wouldn't be able to hang in scenes with these guys. And he's nowhere near the actor they are, but it kind of reminds you of like just how much charisma Bosworth used to have. Yeah, he plays his part for it, for sure. And and you know what I don't remember though about this? This is, and I'm not trying to give away the ending or hop around here. They kind of set this one up to be like a franchise.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Joe Huff was going to be a a full on franchise character. And, you know, that's what that's what was weird from this. It was just one of those ones that didn't catch on. Like we loved it. Not a lot of people I feel know about it. You know, I'm sure people do here and there, but it's one of those ones that, yeah, just didn't happen. Bosworth went on to do a handful of other action movies kind of parallel to this. But none of them, because I remember getting excited, like, are there going to be other really good? Bosworth action films like Stone Cold, and not one of them came anywhere near close to Stone Cold. And it has to do with everything we're mentioning, like guys like Lance Henriksen, William Forsyth, the freaking, what they put into the end with all the shit blowing up and just complete carnage and just craziness. So it it was tough to live up to, but yeah, he, he couldn't repeat, you know, Bosworth, what he did here in Stone Cold.
0: And they're really good at this. The thing that I like about Stone Cold, and I always like this about it, it just kind of reminded me re-watching it. The thing that's really good about Stone Cold is the fucking pacing. There's always something Yeah, on that's dude. Always the movie's something so going easy to on. Watch. They don't get bogged down with like a, like they kind of play into it. Like there's going to be a potential love interest. They're like, fuck that. We ain't bogging this shit down with the love interest. We could put a little bit here and there and that's good enough. Like this movie got to keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. And that pace to me is what really makes this one a winner because it's not, there is some comedy and stuff in this one. It's not like our usual unintentional comedy. It's really impressive how much of this movie that just does, it makes every movement the right way it's supposed to make.
1: Yeah. Cause Sam McMurray is Lance, his like FBI quote unquote partner great character great yeah great comedic in it and like kind of becomes a badass by the end you know in a way and then they
0: they hit the tropes very well like not in an annoying way it's like oh yep there we go yep there we go oh we got that one too yep i like this movie i'm good like that's what's great about it it knows what it is and it delivers what it's supposed to be
1: remember we we talked about on the podcast uh we just had a brief cool thing it's one of those ones you stumbled on uh like on social media and you thought it would be good to bring up real quick for like a little little talk on movies that you know, you've seen 10 times in your life. Okay. Stone cold. I would add to that, dude. I've watched uh, this at least 10 times, watching this again. I'm like, dude, I've watched this probably 10, 11, maybe 12 times. Cause I always I, loved
0: it. I don't know with certainty, but I, it's very possible. I'll say that much. Like I can't yeah, say it's gotta for, be up there sure. for you. Yeah, I've probably seen it at least six or seven times, for sure. So yeah, I mean, dude, you know, it's still, it's weird because like even this time I was kind of like, uh-oh. Like I was kind of worried about it because I'm like, this is the first time that I'm really watching Stone Cold with any kind of a critical eye, okay? So like, is it really gonna live up to what I remember it to be? It does. It, it really it's dude it's almost an anomaly because this movie shouldn't work as well as it does but it exactly
1: does. it's another one of those and I, and I have to shout out here on the the thursday night prime review here on what's real one of my favorite pump up lines and i've it stood out to me from the first time i saw stone cold because uh basically for for those that might not know with brian bosworth joe huff character well john stone as he's known undercover is infiltrating the biker gang of course they don't fully trust him, and william Forsyth's character ice doesn't trust him whatsoever ever. but lance hendrickson chains is into him you know and so like at one point halfway through there he changed really decides to let um john stone in bosworth character into the brotherhood and he says he's like he's gonna either be the biggest pork chop i ever ate or my bulldozer <laughs> Yep. And it's just so hard, you know? And then the other one, of course, is the Brotherhood's tagline God forgives the
0: Brotherhood. Brotherhood doesn't. doesn't. Yeah. That's a great one. I also got a kick out of the thing at the beginning because uh, when Lance Henriksen's character is trying to like coerce him into joining up with them, he's like, Here, go in your van. You can take a ride with my old lady. And like, so she's like trying to mess around with him. He keeps like pushing her away and like she's like what's wrong don't you like my old man and she's like and he's like it's not that he's just like I'm just the type that thinks a pretty lady ain't one for giving away (laughs) (laughs) that's what he
1: said he's like I like your old man and then he says that
0: yeah he's like but to me a pretty lady ain't something you'd be giving away (laughs) I'm just like (laughs) and at that I'm like dude again this movie shouldn't fucking work but it just does like there's a reason why Bosworth was given this role. Like it's weird to people that maybe didn't live through his era, but like we get it. You know, it's not weird to well, us cuz we remember when Bosworth was a big deal, but like for a dude who really hadn't done a lot. It's almost kind of a shame because I think this dude should have probably got more work. The only thing I can think of is like whenever you see like the 30 for 30 about him, he was just an asshole and that probably hurt him. Yeah, at certain times exactly. He would he should have been able to do it otherwise. I think he could have did it very successfully. but it's it's then, also funny how bad a lot of the stuff ages. And I'm talking about from the music to just his look is like, oh man, it's so bad.
1: <laughs> That's what I was gonna say, dude. like how his overall character is in this is great. like from his from his look, like all the stuff he wears. At one point, he has like a lime green. Bandana on, like everything, like stands out. Like he always has, like a different kind of biker outfit in varying scenes, which is hilarious. And of course, at the dance
0: club, and he's wearing like the black.
1: (laughs) It's it's hilarious, and the the uh, the part where like they're establishing his character at the beginning, just like him at home, and he has a pet uh Komodo dragon. Baby and sweet. at one point the dude comes in and he like sits down. Cause he's like scared of it the- He doesn't know like the-, the Komodo dragon at that time is in like a bag, like Jake, the snake used to keep his snake. It's in like a burlap bag. So he doesn't know what the hell it is. He's like, Joe, do you happen to have a dog? And he kind of moves away and he hits into something else and he turns around and it's this like 11 out of 10 freaking chick, but naked boss like you've never seen one of those before huh he's like not not that well built <laughs> yeah this <laughs> is all that kind of shit dude it's dude, hilarious
0: i also got such a, so at the beginning of the movie they show him like it looks like he's making breakfast but he's making breakfast exactly. for the Komodo dragon dude yeah with like snickers it, and it's juice. snickers bars orange juice hot sauce eggs with the shell. Um, I'm like, dude, I like I love this whole idea because this is like another trope in action movies where like the cop wakes up in the morning and he like puts beer in his cereal. Seri- like you know, he's such a yeah. good cop, but he can't eat a normal fucking meal because the rest of his life is so fucking messy. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. One of the other parts
1: I, I always like mentioning because it it's so funny. It always kills me. And of course, it's because of the uh, the character as well. The Bolivian. Polo Tocha, he's like the dude that he gets sent after to to kill, and he has like the spider web tattoo in his ear. So Stone has to bring the biker gang the spider web ear to prove that he killed him. And when he's first having to, because he he's basically his plan is to knock him out because he can't kill him. So like the dude's dancing like goofy as shit, and, and Bosworth comes up to him. He's like, "Hey man," he's like, "I gotta say, brother, you're a hell of a dancer." He's and like right guy. away, the dude doesn't say thank you. He's like, you don't mess with me, man. And he's like, no, seriously, you should take a bow. No, I'm serious. He, take a bow. And he grabs his head and smashes it yeah. the floor.
0: <laughs> Dude. Oh, I, it, love, I love this shit, man. I was also dying too, because what they do, like he's sent to kill this character, but he's a cop. So he calls the police. They bring him in. They arrest him. They put him on a plane and send him to another country. And then it cuts. And he was supposed to cut the dude's ear off. You just see this. He's at a tattoo shop, and there's like this biker tattoo artist. He's like, "Never tattooed the inside of a corpse's ear." <laughs> yeah, he's
1: like, "Yeah, he's like, I, I tattooed boobs and chubby asses, but never a corpse's
0: ear." And it's just like dude, this movie's so crude at points too, but it really yeah, fucking works, man. It really does. Like, and it's weird because I remember Stone Cold getting like a theatrical run and shit this wasn't like something
1: that was no joke
0: they were trying to push bosworth as the next big action star and then
1: this just for whatever reason didn't hit and it just kind of threw him off into lesser budget b movies you know and i think he ended up doing like four or five max yeah total it just didn't work
0: so it's pretty crazy to think about the type of time capsule that this one is but uh you know the j as far as stone cold goes what do we got for our tagline here
1: all right. So Stone Cold with the boss himself, a cop who enforces his own brand of justice.
0: Which was. And then, of
1: course, a- they uh, no, my bad hey, I was just going to say they have like the funny ones on IMDb. Like, I don't know if like people put them online or something and IMDb just throws them on. But it says taglines, drugs, sex and murder. This gang was game for anything till they met a cop who'd stop at nothing.
0: The most generic tagline of all time. (laughs) And
1: then as I throw at you, trivia, hey, did you know regarding Stone Cold that Michael Douglas was executive producer of the film, but received no credit according to his wishes? (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like, why would you, why should we even know that if that's the case? Uh, uh, Apparently that didn't work out too great, but uh, as we do here on the show, we have a five-star rating scale. The J, what do you give Stone Cold?
1: I mean, just for personal purposes, I give it a four and a half. I
0: okay. Stone Cold. Yeah, I like it a lot, too. I'm a little bit lower than you. I went with three and a half, but Stone Cold is a lot of fun. Uh, it's one of the quintessential thursday night prime movies it took a little while for us we've been waiting to do this one for some time but it just uh you know basically came down to being able to find it and just as a clue uh, you guys can watch it on youtube fully great copy it's there, whole movie totally worth it so that is another week down here of thursday night prime we are going to take a quick commercial break when we come back we're going to do the show wrap up and talk some goofs so hang tight everybody we'll be back right after this on the what's real podcast Check out DarkSideDemonClothing.com. Two guys with troubled past, disturbed minds fighting inner demons who are succeeding expectations of what people thought they could overcome. Now they want to reveal it to the world and help others conquer theirs. For t-shirts, hats, and more, check out DarkSideDemonClothing.com.
1: Hey everybody, this is Herman James for the What's Real Podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Goofs or Goofs
0: we're back and it's that time once again the j what do we got this week on the goof front
1: the consistent and classic waterfall of goofdom as we'll pronounce here on episode 83 of the what's roll podcast continues hey yo, know, we got a bunch of good ones this week uh, as i'm sure you saw right here we're going to start in our hometown of pittsburgh where during our last exhibition game a viral fight took place between two
0: dudes Dude. and a chick i did see this now i want to get your opinion on something so the, there there's a woman in this video that uh there she's arguing with a, a black man and she smacks him in the face and that starts a whole violent encounter i don't know about you but like i think that dude's completely in the right like you don't put your fucking hands yeah on people, you man. know
1: you got to get in check and, and exactly you know very controversial you should never hit a woman but uh, when you're getting slapped in the face by a stranger and in, in reaction wise. So uh, for those that didn't see it, to describe it here on the shows during the Steeler Game exhibition, there's a really intense argument between this white lady and this black man. And it gets intense to the point where, like, hey, like Al said, she slapped him in the face. So he kind of comes at her, her husband or boyfriend or whoever, significant <laughs> other uh, gets in the mix and then ends up getting knocked the fuck out. Sitting in a seat Yeah he quickly was and, He was out of the mix Real fast Real fast And to the woman's credit She like defended her Knocked out Fucking husband Like went in front of him Like at one point So whatever It's just ridiculous But the main reason I brought it up you, Because this has been Kind of a consistency Here in 2021 Yeah Maybe it's a coincidence With the Kind of opening up And just people Not knowing how to act We've thoroughly discussed That over the weeks Here on the podcast But 2021 is truly The year of the brawl And I give credit to a a DJ I listen to on Sirius XM, the hard rock channel Octane. I always listen to uh, Grant Random, who uh, and I could get your opinion on this. Hey, in his opinion, a true brawl must have a minimum of four individuals because one on one is a fight. And like this situation at the Steeler game, that's what brought up uh, his rant about this was that it was three people. That doesn't really entail a full on brawl
0: i agree yeah because like dude the other one that i know you were talking about kind of alluding to was the ones that happened at the rams chargers game yeah and dude there's a dude this guy in a yellow shirt that is like off to the side of the whole thing and this dude sniffed this out and was like throwing bombs as soon as he had the opportunity it's like because you've i know you've been in this predicament before because i have too like there's always the bystander dudes and when a brawl breaks out there's always like two or three guys that are like i'm ready to just jump in there and start punching people because <laughs> yeah. it's like it's chaos just throwing hay so haymakers. like yeah i Yeah, because it goes from, like, two, three people or whatever that have a problem to, like, bystanders just punching people. Like, that's what happens when a brawl goes on. So, like, yeah, I totally agree with that assessment.
1: Yeah, that's the thing, like, growing up, I I always said I was never really in one-on-one fights. It was just always my friends getting into shit. We had such a big group of friends. All I was in was brawls, you know? So I'm a very experienced brawler, even though I'm a lover, not a fighter, so you'll have that. But yeah, 2021 is pretty much the year of the brawl, man. There's just brawls everywhere. Keep your eye out for, for viral videos. And we'll keep, we'll keep an eye out here on the Whisper World podcast as we, as we do for some cool brawl footage moving forward here. Uh, next up. Of course, uh, we love the brawls. This is a pretty cool story. I don't know if uh, you, you stumbled on this. This was from Twitter, Say Cheese TV. A New York robbery crew used Apple watches to track drug dealers and rob them. They would hide the Apple watch in the car bumper and they would run. end up running up $500,000 mm. before their operation was busted. But hey, dude, if you're gonna be robbing people, those are the type of people to rob, you're robbing the dealers.
0: Yeah, but you know, remember the the dealers might not be down with your technical tricks, but they don't really need to be because they usually have fucking manpower and guns on their side, so it's oh uh, man yeah It's hey, you, technology makes people creative and that's just another example of that right there
1: yeah I thought that was pretty interesting that uh, using an Apple watch to run up $500,000 to rob drug dealers so I'm thinking there's a Ooh. movie in there hate y'all
0: were you at Netflix yeah, it's, it's almost dude it's almost surprising that that, ha- that didn't happen in a movie before it happened in real life because yeah, that's kind of how things seem to work but yeah that's that's pretty wild Next up on the What's Real
1: podcast, again, it goes into a consistent theme here on the GRG segment with our love for animals as straight from TMZ.com, monkey love, hey, a woman is 86th from the zoo over an affair with a chimpanzee.
0: Jesus Christ, you've got to be kidding me.
1: They say opposites attract, hey, but one woman has taken that too far and is banned from a Belgian zoo after the owners felt her relationship with one of their primates had gone too far. Uh, she got the boot from Antwerp Zoo after a four-year, quote-unquote, affair. She'd carry on with the chimpanzee named Cheetah.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Um, it did not get physical, though. Hey, you know, we're not too gross here on the What's World podcast and goose or Goofs. They say it amounted to just her blowing kisses and waving and whatnot. So no monkey sex or anything, thank God.
0: Dude. Th- oh, God. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The woman's what the devastated. Fuck is wrong with people? She said that this was pretty much all she had in her life. So that's pretty sad when really? all, all you have in your life is Cheetah, the chimpanzee at the Belgium Zoo.
0: Yeah, that doesn't sound too promising for her prospects. Um, but, dude, you know, that reminds me this is kind of not like an official entry into Goose or Goose, but just speaking of the animal shit, okay? This is super weird. I don't know if you saw about this. Did you see there's this fucking story about scientists capture first ever footage of a tortoise committing grizzly murder? <laughs> no. Okay, so this is this is wild. A giant tortoise swallowed a baby bird hole in the Seychelles Islands, revealing an extremely rare, rare example of predation in these animals. Generally tortoises are, are herbivores, but, Apparently they they've been doing some studies in the Seychelles Islands uh, because they they're trying to breed more tortoises because the numbers are getting too low and then they're trying to breed these chicks. It's like the same exact type thing that they're doing. Okay, but these chicks tend tend to fall out of trees like you know like it's it just happens to some of them and once they fall out of the tree to the forest floor they become prime prey for predators. But this zoologist got this video footage of this. Uh, turtle this tortoise it it's a seven minute video that's available online i did not watch it because i don't want to see this but it's interesting so there are reports of galapagos giant tortoises squashing birds under their carapace and we have heard of tortoises on alabron or al alabra uh squashing crabs but these are anecdotal and although it is implied that the act is deliberate this is unclear Our observation is the first documentation of deliberate hunting in any tortoise species. And in the video, an adult females giant tortoise purposely approaches a lesser naughty turn chick with its mouth open, which is typically aggressive gesture according to the study. The chick had fallen from the nest in the treetops and was left stranded on a log. Though it backed away to the edge of the log and pecked at the tortoise in self-defense, the predator ultimately clamped its jaws down on the bird's head delivering a fatal bite but now the chick is dead it was dropped it dropped the tortoise uh it was dropped and the tortoise had to climb off of the log to retrieve it and once retrieved the chick was swallowed whole uh basically uh the pursuit from the log and to the killing of the chick took 92 seconds and they're like this is extremely strange behavior and they don't understand why it's doing this at all
1: i was gonna say add that to 2021
0: Yeah, murderous tortoises now. Here we go.
1: They're like, hold our beer, hold our fucking glass full of blood murder hornets.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there you go. Fucking murder hornets.
1: Oh, man. Well, speaking of animals, hey, (laughs) next up on our next to last portion of the Goose or Goose 83 segment, uh, the headline is, seriously, y'all, stop it. FDA asked people to stop taking animal dewormer to treat COVID-19. A Florida store oh a Florida store posted a sign saying it's out of Ivermectin and isn't sure when it'll have any again. The calls asking for it have picked up in recent weeks. Questions that we knew weren't current customers, people requesting this specific product only. And this is something that's given to horses and other livestock and can reduce the risk of in- intestinal parasites for these kind of animals. But the product is sold at feed stores and not for human consumption. So in a tweet, the FDA legitimately wrote this, hey, y'all, you are not a horse, you are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it. Because people were drinking this thinking that it could help them against COVID-19.
0: Which is really bizarre because you know it could really help people with COVID 19. Getting the fucking vaccines, you weird fucks. Jesus Christ. What is wrong with everybody? Never
1: use medications intended for animals on yourself. Hate y'all.
0: I learned that from reading Dynamite Kid's book because he took horse fucking steroids. (laughs) Another thing I would never do.
1: Yeah, I'm on bull shark steroid, but so far so good. Hate y'all.
0: You got to knock that shit off, man. Last but not least,
1: and I know you heard of this one. It's the viral hit of the week here recording on Tuesday, the 24th at What's Real and Goose or Goose. It's the crate challenge. (laughs) for those that didn't know, it's a new viral thing. Um, you stack up a bunch of like milk crates, like the old school crates that would have the little things of milk in them. You stack them up and you have to try to make it from one side to the next as they're stacked. And pretty much when you get to the top crate is when the, the problems happen and people are getting broke. And some idiots are doing this on like a sidewalk as opposed to grass and just getting annihilated dude i wonder if people
0: realize that fucking people that are really good on like american ninja would have a hard time doing this exactly let alone like some out of shape fucking idiot from fucking saskatchewan
1: yeah if you haven't caught the craze check them out there's videos everywhere but there's some pretty pretty funny ones the way mugs fall it's the classic they look like rag dolls just pinballing around on these fucking crates that crumble
0: fucking goofs man the perfect segment for these people of course
1: the only question is were we goofs enough in our younger days to have tried it unfortunately i'd have to say yes
0: (laughs) i'm gonna say no i don't think i was that stupid i knew i also worked at a grocery store in my younger days and i already knew how dangerous climbing on that shit could be anyway you know me i was all cocky, like
1: i could do that that's that's why i would do it but
0: that's when you, you just glue them together and do it and then give people ones that aren't glued together to try yeah. <laughs> to watch them all get fucking hurt
1: oh too much but as i say to my brother from another mother between 2021 being the year of the brawl a unique new york robbery crew idiots drinking animal animal dewormer, tortoises murdering fucking chicks monkey
0: love <laughs> and the crate challenge goofs are goofs so that's almost it for us here for episode 83. Thank you guys once again for joining us. If you're listening to the show on iTunes, we'd appreciate a five-star review. Helps get more eyes and ears on the program. And of course, you can listen to us every week on your favorite podcasting platforms, such as Apple iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and of course, every week on churchillpictures.com. If you have anything you'd like to add to the show, you can send us an email at whatsrealpod at gmail.com but uh before we get out of here the jay i hear you revving it up so the jay take it away revving it up like a tortoise
1: cereal i hate you all another great week <laughs> man as we have always do gotta make my monikers continued here at the end as i am delirious as you can tell by by my delivery but love the show shout out to our producer the wizard himself the wizard behind the boards cam it's that 24k sound cam good shit keep it going sounding great every week. We love the consistency and we love what you do and we appreciate it got to shout you out. And as I always say to my bro, hey, love it, man. It's been great. It's another fun week and another Steve McQueen in it week this week. The great escape from the craziness of everyday life here in 2021 America and on planet Earth. And as I've been saying, leading the charge like the generals themselves in the past, stay safe, stay healthy. You'll hear the J next week.
0: So, of course shout out to you the jay for sitting down with me here each and every week as we do there's nobody else i'd rather do it with brother so thank you so much for joining me Uh, of course shout out to our producer cam for all the hard work he puts into the show making us sound so good each and every week because we all know that nobody beats the whiz so that's it for us here this week on episode 83 don't forget to join us next week for episode 84 and beyond and of course stay safe Stay healthy, get vaccinated, and we'll see you here next week on the What's Real podcast.